There's no place to escape to. This is the last oh, on the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. Marcus, I know that over our travails over the years, the decade of doing this show, that mm-hmm. you have moved a little bit farther away from the ritual magic than you we started, right? Because oh. we both tried to do... Yeah, he's losing his teeth and bleeding from his nose. He had to. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Actually, when I stopped doing ritual magic, my teeth did stop falling out. Interesting. <laughs> um, but Mike, can we just, though, bring back some of the outfits? Oh. I know that we've been ragging these guys really hard for the past two weeks, but I've been wa- obviously looking at pictures of Aleister Crowley every fucking day. I like obviously. the ones you've been posting on your Instagram. Yes. Nude yoga. He, I mean, I, we have the same body. We have a thinker's body, a God's body. Uh-huh. But the in my mind, it's been like, can't we bring back some of these hats? You just want hats and robes? You can wear hats and robes. You can, yeah, I can get you a freaking robe and a hat. I just want some. <laughs> you, can't, you can't fly with it. Golden but. Dawn Couture. Can't this just come back? I want the wands and stuff. Like You don't have to be with the rituals, but I want sure, Marcus sure. and I to be able to go into a store. Because uh-huh. technically, this is clothes also, Kissel. These are clothes built for you. Yeah, there's, there's no cinches. Oh, it's loose and flowy. <laughs> it's loose and flowy. My like Stevie, new leisure. Stevie Nicks collection that I've been going into Ooh, lately. Anything's a Stevie Nicks collection. We do collection have to start the show at some point. out the front. <laughs> Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I have been hanging out with the always fashionable Henry. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, the uh, someone who I believe is truly a, a master of all the spiritual arts, Marcus uh-huh. Parks. Uh, Did you say that? All the spiritual arts? No. Yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> That's what I would say. I'm putting that on you. Okay. Do it with, do it with what you will. <laughs> You're starting to get into Do with it what you will. That's okay. Yeah, 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 man. So obviously we are on to part three and our final episode of Alistair Crowley. So now we had followed the passage of the initiate. We'd entered into the world uh, last week of magic and adventure. Mm. But now... We are headed now. We headed towards the the treacherous descending path Uh-oh. of the magus. So what we heard was the good stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's the, <laughs> the last two weeks. Everything okay. you've heard is the innocent shit. Oh, this yeah. episode is when we start to see why Aleister Crowley would be get to known uh, would get to be known as the wickedest man in the world. Okay, and how he would begin to fulfill his vision of being the the most famous uh, or, or fucking infamous diabolist of all time. Aleister yep. Crowley, part three. Now, the point in which we rejoin Alistair Crowley's life was among the highest in his magical career. He just discovered the power of using sex for ritual purpose, and his magical familiar, Victor Neuberg, was willing to do anything Crowley asked out of love for his magical mentor. His balls reached down and tied my shoes. Oh, isn't that nice? (laughs) So, after their magical Enochian sodomy adventure in the Algerian desert, Neuberg and Crowley continued their path through the Anakian Aethers on the road to true enlightenment with another ritual. Just to give a quick refresh, because I'm sure very few of you remember what an ether is. Hmm. An ether is a metaphysical plane of existence. And in Enochian magic, one must pass through 30 of these to reach the end where enlightenment 
awaits. Well, that sounds like someone who is the master of magical arts. That sounds like something that the <laughs> master of magical arts would say. <laughs> I wrote yeah. it down. I read it in a book and wrote it down. Yeah. Wow. Magical, magical arts. Magical arts. Magical arts. <laughs> yes. uh, but it, it's like boss levels in a way, right? Yeah. Or it's like the uh, different layer of fart when you walk from <laughs> Kissel's backyard to his bedroom. You pass yes. through the atheists to get to enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely watching Jerry eat a bunch of pretzels in my bed. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> he shouldn't be eating pretzels. Is he buying these pretzels? No, I went down to grab the pretzels that I keep by the side of my bed, and they were gone. And, and Jerry had taken <laughs> them to his section, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. Well, the aether that Neuberg and Crowley were about to cross was among the most dangerous. According to Enochian belief, crossing the 10th aether, called the accursed, requires Ooh. one to face a demon known as Koronzon. Yeah, Koronzon. Koronzon the Wicked. <laughs> I fucking love his name. It's fucking sweet. It's a great name. Uh, you also remember when they were, when he was plugging AC in the last episode, you have to remember these are, these rituals are so deeply involved. They involve obviously their imagination to the point where the both of them are in such they call it like, it's almost like a flow. They're in yeah. a flow together. That they're starting to see the same things as as each other. Like, Alistair Crowley talked about that when he was getting bottomed for the first time by Neuberg, mm. he saw Neuberg become a god. Like, he saw all of these things flit before his eyes, which is just gotta be a fucking trip coming out of Neuberg. Well, I'm gonna stop thinking. <laughs> uh, you know, I watch a lot of that porno, and I always wonder, I wonder what they're thinking. But now I'm not going to think that anymore because it's going to be way too complex for me to understand. We're all just ones and zeros to porn stars. I know. Now, Koranzon was a bit of a sticky character. John D. and Edward Kelly believed that he was the first and deadliest of all evil powers. And Edward Kelly used to actually refer to him as that mighty devil. Hmm. So Crowley and Neuberg came up with a plan. Rather than evoking Kuranzon in a physical manner, which would have been a bad idea for an increasingly chubby wizard and his sickly familiar, yeah, Crowley like decided to let the demon possess him. I can take it! Come <laughs> to me! Oh in both my. ways. Wow. <laughs> I'm funny. So that's interesting. He's both the Ghostbuster and the contraption the Ghostbusters use to trap said ghosts. Mm -hmm. With his butthole. Yeah. He, with his butthole. <laughs> I don't know if they always go through the butthole because I think technically you're supposed to ask permission. It's like a vampire. Oh, interesting. So put some salt on the butthole and then the vampire can't get in there. <laughs> so once again in the Algerian desert, Neuberg stationed himself in a protective magical circle anointed with the sacrificial blood of three pigeons they brought from town. <laughs> and Crowley stood in the magical triangle of evocation. Come again, me, Coranza. Come again, me. Oh, I don't think you're ready for this jelly, Coranza. Come and get me. You can just see the pigeons just coo, coo, coo. Wonder what's going to happen today. Coo, coo. I think we'll be let go. I think so. Maybe we'll get some feed. Maybe there were those pigeons that we were wearing those little cowboy hats in Nevada but it turns out it's not it so cute because it killed him. But. Well, after a suitable amount of magical speeches and much waving of a magical dagger, Crowley and Neuberg claimed that they heard a deep voice utter the words, Zazus, Zazus, Nasatanada, Zazus, which was supposed to be the words the biblical Adam used to open the gates of hell. Biblical Adam, why didn't you leave that shit closed? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't understand. That deep voice, which Crowley and Neuberg believed belonged to Kuranzon, 
continued. I am the master of form, and from me all forms proceed. I am I. I have shut myself up from the spendthrifts. My gold is safe in my treasure chamber, and I have made every living thing my concubine, and none shall touch them, save only I. From me come leprosy, and pox, and plague, and cancer, and cholera, and the falling sickness. I will reach up to the knees of the Most High, and tear his phallus with my teeth, and I will bray his testicles in a mortar, and make poison thereof to slay the sons of men. And I am also a cuck. Get to fucking, get to fucking in front of me. Yes, man. Fucking demon. A, pro, a, a demon appears and says that he's gonna rip God's dick off with his teeth. I'm not with you, dude. Yikes. Even God felt that one. Even God was like, "Ooh, a small tinge of my nuts." Yeah, he's that demon down there. My God. And with that, the magical battle against Kuranzan began. Also, I, I just realized I was doing a God character and I said, "Oh my God!" As God. But he would say, oh, my me. <laughs> Walk out of this fucking room. <laughs> I, the demon possessed Crowley, as was the plan, and proceeded to try and draw Neuberg out of the protective circle so he could presumably murder him or <gasps> worse. I dare you to leave the circle. I bet you won't, you chicken. Whoa, do not Marty McFly him. He will leave the circle. As we said last episode, no matter how far-fetched all of this sounds, Crowley and Norberg believed that this is what happened. So let's go step by step through what a battle between a wizard and a demon is like from the wizard's perspective. Sweet. Okay. Both of them claimed that Kuranzan, possessing Crowley, first appeared as Euphemia Lamb, the girl whom Crowley had used to play a prank on Neuberg in Paris. So he just grew tits. Oh, yeah. wow. bigger than he had. <laughs> but also, this is also important why big titty boys are supposed to do magic, so then our tits can actually get filled with ghost women tits in order to do these rituals. <laughs> Absolutely. And you can hold little books under them. She offered to. <laughs> they have to be thin, guys. I know, I know. That's why I said a little. She offered to sit at his feet and be his slave. Yes. But when that didn't work, Kuranzan, possessing Crowley, became an old man, then a snake. <gasps> Whoa. The demon then tried preying on Neuberg's love for Crowley and made it look as if Crowley was dying of thirst. Help me, Norb. Help me, Neuberg. Help me. I need cum. All I have is this, all I have is this bunch of piss. <laughs> all right. Because <laughs> can't be choosers. Indeed. Koranzan then blasphemed against Crowley's guardian angel, Awas, saying that their every dealing with him was, quote, but a cloak for thy filthy sorceries, which I think was his way of accusing them of using Awas as an excuse to have anal sex. All right, you got me. Wow. <laughs> I have to say, busted. Indeed. Well, Awas is also, we'll talk about this. He's been around a couple of times during this time period. Awas is not that friendly. So that's no. what we'll, we will say. Awas is kind of like, uh, we don't know who Awas might exactly be. His agendas might not be ours. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Then Crowley, still possessed by Coronzon, tore off his robe and threw himself on Neuberg and tried ripping his throat out with his teeth, but was thrown back by a flashing of Neuberg's magical dagger. Whoa. <laughs> Wait, but both of these guys, if we saw what was happening, they would just be staring at each other. Okay. No, no they we, would be, we'd be writhing around. Okay. Yeah, they'd be rolling yeah. into the desert and shit. They'd yeah, have all the candles right. out. Yeah, if you walked upon it at this next point with Coronzon Crowley taking Euphemia Lamb's form again, getting mm. naked and attempting seduction, you would see a chubby man acting like a sexy lady. Somebody come <laughs> and make me a baby. I need a daddy. Right. Are you ready to stab this lady? I went to daddy school. I'm ready to do what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> when Neuberg again refused, the form went into a shame spiral and begged to be released from the triangle so he, she could retrieve their clothes, which were outside of the protective circle. Let me get dressed again. Let me get dressed again, Neuberg. Neuberg's like, no, you told me that no matter what you said, Karanzon, to not let you put your clothes back on. There's a sand, there's sand in the tip of my dick. Whoa, that's horrible. That's not how you make a pearl. Finally, Karanzon slash Crowley tried a last ditch attempt to convince Neuberg that all magic was bullshit. But when Neuberg resisted, Karanzon admitted defeat and allowed them to pass through the aether, leaving oh. Crowley naked and squatting in the sand. What an afternoon, huh? <laughs> that was crazy. What a poor day to be a pigeon, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the entire experience, according to Crowley and Neuberg, had lasted two hours. Oh. But Crowley came out the other end secure in his belief that he had been chosen as the prophet of Thalema. I really view Crowley. I said last episode that I've been flip flopping on Crowley and trying and going through his work and, and trying to really figure out, like getting a hook and a finger into Crowley, trying to figure out what, to, like, how, what do I make of him? You're gonna want to put a fist in there. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> the finger didn't even touch the rims. And but he is at this point in his life. I want to say he's the most powerful that he will continue to be. Like yeah. this is he became a real. Wizardary, he became a real wizard. So no matter at the end of last episode, when he popped the hole, like the yes. book of the law, actually, because he was so surprised by it, he didn't fully harness the powers of it or understand what it was. I feel like now we're starting to see what he even says in the confessions that he spent years wandering and wandering and not quite certain, not really seeing the effects. But now he's like, I point and magic happens. I point and this shit is all going, which right. is I don't know if it's just self delusion or ego or is it the actual workings because you know maybe you don't know it unless you know it from the inside of it and we definitely learned something from a pringles can once you pop you can't stop and i think that's what happened with him once mm. he popped it he just couldn't stop it uh not oh. eating pringles but sex mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> well i think with it with crowley like he was at his most powerful when neuberg was at his side oh. yeah th there was something about crowley and neuberg together like after neuberg left he was never he was never able to accomplish the same sorts of things and before Norberg showed up he was just a babe in the abyss as so, no, said. Yeah. so no matter what so obviously the fight didn't exactly play out like they said it did maybe tangibly but he truly was more powerful after this event in his real life yes, yes. it's okay. weird it did kind of so it, 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 it sort of worked. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now there is a very interesting coincidence concerning Crowley and the crossing of the tenth aether, as Gary Lockman pointed out in his first book, "Turn Off Your Mind." This dalliance with the demon occurred on December sixth, nineteen o nine. 
Exactly 60 years later, on December 6, 1969, a Hells Angels biker hired by the Rolling Stones to work security murdered a fan at Altamont Speedway. In some people's view, this murder ended the free love hippie era. The connection here is that at the time of the murder, the Rolling Stones were being tutored in magic by <gasps> filmmaker Kenneth Anger, who hmm. was in fact a devoted Thelemite and a follower of Aleister Crowley. And if you combine that with the amount of butt sex and butt magic just manifesting itself within the Hell's Angels, that <laughs> amount of power alone could have opened up the gates of hell and we may be in hell right now. I just want to say to the Hell's Angels listening, I... I know that if you join in butt sex, butt. you like it and you and you want it, and that's not an insult, Hell's Angels. So leave us alone. I mean, hoot, they had a lot of fun, but then a lot of other people didn't. In another interesting connection, Kenneth Anger also directed Lucifer Rising, which featured Bobby Boussoulet. Bobby oh. Boussoulet was the man that killed Gary Hinman at the direction of Charles Manson, which kicked off the Helter Skelter murders. That means that Kenneth Anger, arguably the most well-connected Thelemite of the 60s, was tangentially involved in the two events that effectively ended the hippie movement, which in many ways embodied the very ideas that Aleister Crowley himself preached. It's wow. interesting because this also will keep people wondering, why are we talking about Aleister Crowley? Who is Aleister Crowley? Like, how does he get to be this famous? This is the shit that yeah. points towards it. Okay. As it the weird these shit. weird synchronicities that come up again and again. And like, honestly, strangely disastrous results that comes out of a bunch of rockers. I mean, I call them rockers, but as they much are. as I love Mick Jagger, I can't see Mick Jagger really sitting down and learning how to do banishing of, of like banishing rituals yeah. and all of the work and the breathing exercise and all this kind know. of shit. So they're just in there doing all this fun sex magic because it's fun, but at the same time, they don't know what the fuck they're opening up. They're opening up all these doors and shit just willy-nilly. Meanwhile, like he's still struggling to fucking remember the lyrics to Brown Sugar. Oh, my goodness. Well, everyone knows the whole reading part. That's the job of the drummer. Yeah. So. <laughs> but back in 1909, everything seemed to be going Crowley's way, both in the metaphysical and corporeal realms. After the battle with Coronzon, Crowley printed an article in his occult magazine, The Equinox, which outlined several Golden Dawn rituals. And he promised to reveal even more rituals in future issues. Oh. The problem with this is that Crowley had sworn himself to secrecy when he was a member of the Golden Dawn, oh, and no. magical oaths were apparently considered to be legally binding back in the day. If the magicians have a lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's important. But perhaps what was even more legally compromising for Crowley was the fact that Samuel Mathers, Crowley's old mentor and former head of the Golden Dawn, claimed copyright on these rituals. Which is interesting, though, because then... Like, didn't Mathers get it from the secret chiefs and all this? Isn't it just like material from time memorial? It is from the ancient secret schools. It's been there since the beginning of human consciousness. Uh, what we're going to see uh, over the course of this episode is uh, when the law is involved, these men apparently put a lot of trust into um, mm. uh, things that are not uh, ethereal. They so, tend to get very literal with things. Uh, we're talking about the most powerful wizard that ever lived and still a locksmith and the profession of being a lawyer is more powerful. In yep. this realm. <laughs> wow. In this realm, not in the realm of Karanzan. No, not at all. Like to, but at the same time, I've never met Karanzan lawyers. Yeah. No. I don't know what, those, what they are like. <laughs> Nightmare. Well, instead of going the old route of magical war as he had in the past, Mathers decided to do things the legal way, and he sued Aleister Crowley. Aw, lame. 
Now, Mathers won the opening salvo by obtaining an injunction to halt the printing of further issues of the Equinox because the judge in the case, interestingly, was himself a Freemason who believed that secret rituals should stay secret. Fuck you. Open all the doors. (laughs) That's what I really do believe. I think that's what Alistair Crowley, the best thing that he ever did was this shit. Just being like, fuck you, Freemason. You just want to keep your sweet little boys club that none of the rest of us can get into, you fucking judge. Well, what did Mason do so wrong? Why can't they Freemason? (laughs) Well, I I just am simply, I am simply at a wit's end. It's truly, that was truly genius. But uh, upon appeal, another judge overturned that ruling because he, like the rest of England, found the entire thing kind of silly. (laughs) (laughs) The press had a field day with Crowley v. Mathers. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm sure they did. No, it's like Vermin Supreme versus a bus stop. (laughs) I love Vermin Supreme. And they published stories with titles like Rosicrucian Rites, The Dread Secrets of the Order Revealed. That's cool. And and others like Secrets Society, amusing comedy in appeals court. <laughs> amusing, amusing comedy in appeals court is my favorite thing that I've ever heard in my life. They are supposed <laughs> to be scary. That's why the robes are there. It's supposed to be mysterious. And after all of that, amusing comedy in appeals court. I just need to see the scene. I'm thinking that of is, Night Court. I'm basically thinking of Night yeah, Court. Yeah. I was like, I'm thinking. I was like, I'm thinking of Bull, like a like a Bull. Yeah. As a, as a, I'm like, oh, I'm thinking of John Larroquette. That's Night Court. You just turn the cast of Night Court weirdly into allegorical secret school teaching. Ooh, I'm going to rewatch it now. But instead of hurting Crowley's reputation, this was one of the few times in which press attention actually helped. Despite the snarky tone of some of the articles, membership in Crowley's magical order skyrocketed, and Crowley reached the absolute peak of his fame. As far as Samuel Mathers went, he disappeared for good after his court loss, and it's believed, but not confirmed, that he was one of the millions upon millions of people who died in the Spanish flu epidemic of 1918. I okay. could see a asthmatic old wizard dying of the flu. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. But what Crowley was about to discover about the press was that the more famous you are, the bigger the target on your back gets. Hmm. And two newspapers were about to set their sights directly on the Great Beast 666. Now, this is the shit he's been asking for. Mm-hmm. Right. This is what I find interesting about Aleister Crowley. It's, again, the things that he puts out in the universe, it circles right back. Yeah. When you go out there and you make yourself the adversary right the idea is that you're because in a way because we kind of talked about the first episode as much as he likes being the adversary there's a little part of him that just wants everybody to still invite him to lunch absolutely (laughs) like Like alan dershowitz (laughs) yeah he still like (laughs) wants to be in the famous crew like he wants a crew like he wants to be able to go he loves hobnobbing with celebrities if you read the confessions he lists all the peoples he knows and who Mm. he's hung out with and who he was hanging out with which honestly i get i completely understand but you also you be surprised what happens when you call yourself the great b666 yeah it's like when you get a whole bunch of face tattoos and then scream at people for looking at you i mean i think it's kind of fun to get the face tattoos but then you should be like yeah it's me it's me yeah you can't just be like (laughs) welcome to target like it's gonna (laughs) i want him at target i love him Well, Crowley's biggest enemy in the press was the publisher of a right-wing tabloid called John Bull by the name of Horatio Bottomley. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. I just sounded like he was jealous of Aleister Crowley. Yes, indeed. From the great Bottomley family. 
Now, at first, Horatio Bottomley treated Crowley as a source of amusement. He snarkily congratulated Crowley on his legal victory in an open letter while requesting the secret of invisibility. (laughs) And it might have stayed as mere amusement had Crowley not decided to raise his public profile even more by putting on magical performances in public every Wednesday evening in October and November of 1910. But this is how he learned about magic. He had been, he saw magic rituals in public before, and he knows that this is about me showing my power and influence. And the more people see Mm -hmm. these rituals, you know, in a way, that's why I always wrestle. There is the spiritual inner world of ritual magic, and then there's the real world of enchantment and things that you can do to influence people's behaviors and the way they look at you. So if you float more ritual magic stuff into the world, you create touch points for other people to recognize what it is that you do. So Mm -hmm. then when you create a context for ritual magic by showing it to people, eventually people are like, oh, that's that wizard. And the more and more people say, oh, that's that wizard, the more you kind of become a wizard. And but I mean, just to if I'm an audience member, I'm going to sit down at like, let's just say the Magnet Theater in New York and he's Mm -hmm. performing. It's just going to be a very performative thing right it's going to be almost like an improv it's, it's not it's david blaine it's like yeah, theater right yeah it's very it's actually that it's a, it's exactly theater because like he got positive theater reviews oh this yeah whole thing oh, yeah right. but they also caught the attention of another right-wing rag called the looking glass pretty soon the looking glass had all the dirt it needed to write a crowley expose because samuel mathers had spilled the beans about crowley's every dirty deed as a final fuck you to his former student nothing ruins uh, uh, a magi- got some <coughs> information on uh, alistair <laughs> sir, sir you sound really sick you're very flu like <laughs> symptoms sir um but i uh, no, he lived 10 more years in obscurity before the flu took him ah. Ah. Uh, but also nothing ruins a magician's rap worse than his past because you're trying to eliminate it you're trying to be capital a capital c the great beast you're trying to be all shit you can't find out all this fucking dumb shit about how oh my kids died well that was really (laughs) sad but he didn't (laughs) climb some mountains of course he didn't he did fun shit yeah yeah remember he he did climb some mountains but many people died on the last mountain climbing expedition that he had and that was the last time that crowley is in the press before this and so the looking yeah yeah and so the looking glass they found out about the divorce the dead daughter the frequent adultery and all the various magical and legal battles with the Golden Dawn. Which yeah, he's think- not trying to win Best Mormon. He's yeah, trying to be the worst person of all time. <laughs> Technically, that's the recipe. But see, this is where it gets sticky because, yeah, it would help his reputation, but there was one last thing that he still wasn't ready to talk about. Yeah, the most devastating revelation was that Crowley had participated in, quote, unmentionable moralities, which everyone in England knew was code for gay sex. Mm. Ah. Now, some of the people named in the article as associates of Crowley and therefore associates of a gay sex man, they sued for libel. But <laughs> Crowley enjoyed the attention and the bad reputation. I cheer and celebrate my associations with gay sex men. Yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> Why not? We have many associations with gay sex men. I love gay sex men. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, Crowley's refusal to deny the accusations like a good Englishman cost him two of his oldest friends and many of his best students. Hypocrites. But that's the thing. It wasn't that they were necessarily homophobic because I honestly can't see any student of Crowley's during this time avoiding multiple extensive conversations about the magical power of the butthole. But if they had listened... 
They don't understand. <laughs> you get the biggest shoot of your life if you press the button. Hey, buddy. I mean, absolutely. He needs to channel a little bit of his Joan Jet and say, I know I have a bad reputation, but claim it and own it. Oh, yeah. God. Did you just put Alistair Crowley in the fucking trailer for Shrek 2? <laughs> Well, really what it came down to more than anything was that homosexuality in all forms was still illegal in England in 1911. And even being associated with homosexuality was enough to ruin a man. So Crowley's order emptied out and Crowley was nearly back to square one. I find that that is like one of those sad things. I find this really sad. sad. It's very sad. In a way, I mean, he's also just a total victim of the times and the circumstance. But I wonder if that didn't happen. Well, what his life would have been. Well, Oscar Wilde was the one before him. That was kind of the template of the out gay man that used it as a shield. Right. But Crowley. Well, well, I mean, Wilde went to prison. That Yeah. Yeah. Oscar Wilde had boss yeah. uh, at the time. This yeah. is before because Alistair Crowley wow. is growing mm-hmm. up. Like, and I guess this is growing up because at yeah, this right. point he understood that like. Oh, I, I actually should have fought for this because yeah. he before he didn't want to deal with Oscar Wilde shit because, you know, he was jealous and he didn't want to like basically be perceived as a hack because that's kind of was Oscar Wilde's claim to fame. He was the true like debaucherous, like truly hedonistic, like a man of the of the of the mind and of the senses. The most conservative relationships I know are gay. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so weird. It's just such a strange. I know it's 110 years ago, but it just doesn't seem that long ago considering yeah. how crazy. But then again, we just had gay marriage. What? Eight years ago. Yeah. Anyway, we could talk yeah. about this all night, but it's just crazy <laughs> to me that these people were being crucified for doing something like this. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, at this point, though, Crowley was much more concerned with his next scarlet woman, hmm. Mary Dusty Sturgis. She, like his ex-wife, Rose Kelly, seemed to be a natural. And when she and Crowley performed sex magic for the first time, she saw a vision of an old white bearded man holding a wand. That was just because she was trying not to come too soon. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Well, that won't help. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's the Gandalf orgasm. <laughs> a wizard. No. <laughs> Just random comes. Yes, the wizard's arrived. The wizard's gone. <laughs> First, when she had this vision, Crowley thought she just had too much to drink because Mary Desty Sturgis was like almost every other Scarlet Woman an alcoholic. But when the visions continued, Crowley came to believe that she'd made contact with the secret chiefs (gasps) and together they wrote a book of practical magic called Book Four. However, although the secret chiefs had a lot to say about yoga, mysticism, and magic, they also seemed to be just as anti-Semitic as Aleister Crowley was. Hmm. Because book four also included the centuries-old conspiracy chestnut that Jewish people murder Christian children so they can bake their blood into Passover matzah. The blood oh. level. You know, well, isn't that something fun? But you know what's weird <laughs> is that it's also like, it was like a bit, but it, we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah. But conspiracy bullshit aside, Crowley continued publishing and eventually released both the Book of the Law in 1912 and the Book of Lies. The latter of these two books attracted the attention of Theodore Roos, who was, at the time, the head of the Ordo Templi Orientis, better known as the OTO. Shout Mm. out to my OTO papes. (laughs) We got a bunch of them, honestly. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, we do. I love it. 
Now, the OTO was, and still is, a sex magic-based magical order that had its origins in tantric yoga. A German Freemason named Karl Kellner had learned all about tantric sex in India and proposed to his fellow Freemasons upon his return to Germany that they found a new magical society that embodied these sexy yogic techniques. Man, and honestly, if you watch any of those core power yoga videos, like let's say you get tired of watching, like like doing the yoga, mm-hmm. and you just start watching the videos sure it's sexy yeah Absolute, you just watch all the course. people i mean you just stare at them yeah you know that's I mean? not you're not breaking news that's <laughs> what people used to watch the exercise videos for yeah 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 there's a whole fucking porn subgenre that's just yoga i'm it's, just discovering all of this it's very bizarre <laughs> i'm new to yoga it's just like the people who watch it the only thing they're strengthening is their forearm mm-hmm <laughs> I, yeah, just, <laughs> I can't. Who invited Dave Barry? Yeah. <laughs> no, I had yoga ruined for me because a yoga instructor here in my neighborhood made a crack about my fucking asshole during yoga, and it what? was humiliating. It was, it was humiliating. It was, everyone, sure laughed. everyone, everyone thought it was so, no. It was a specific crack about my butthole and me showing my butthole, God, and so, he was, oh, oh, he was so he was so <laughs> randy about it, and everyone laughed. Oh, everyone laughed at the butthole boy, didn't they? <laughs> This is an attack on Marcus's mindfulness. We'll have to talk about this off air. You can go back to yoga. It doesn't. And thus, the Orders of the Templars of the East, or the Ordo Templi Orientis, was founded. Were you showing your asshole? Just a second. Were you showing your asshole? I was doing regular yoga. Butt cheeks, right? uh, Jesus Christ! I was doing regular yoga, and the guy that was doing the class, he made a crack about my butthole showing. But how was your butthole showing? We have 14 seconds on this, and then we move on. How <laughs> was your butthole, butthole showing? Sh- not my butthole showing. If I would not have had pants, then my butthole would have been on quite a Crowleyan display, let's yeah, say. Yeah, all of us would. But it's <laughs> yoga. <laughs> it's yoga, yes. So he all shouldn't right. be well. ma- making cracks about my butthole. I think okay. this guy was sexually obsessed with you. Maybe. <laughs> all right, we can move on. Well, the Ordo Templi Orientis claimed that their order possessed the key that opened all Masonic and Hermetic secrets. This key was a type of sexual magic that explained, without exception, all the secrets of nature, all systems of religion, and all the symbolism of Freemasonry. But when Theodore Roos, the second head of the OTO, read Crowley's Book of Lies, he was shocked to see that Crowley was publishing one of the innermost secrets of the OTO, the secret of the ninth degree. I had a moment as I was going through these books, because to be honest, I've been kind of discovering them as Crowley mentions them in the confessions. I've been kind of reading them in order. Like I read the book of the law. I started reading the Liebers and I actually, you know, I kept saying like last episode, it's like, oh, this is very beautiful poetry and it can be analyzed. And I know that it's very interesting. And then I picked, I picked up the book of lies and I never understood the book of lies. I've had it for a long time and I picked it up and I went through it. Obviously it is very dense. And I was like, I, what is this? What, what am I doing here? And then I go through the commentaries and then all of a sudden it's five o'clock in the morning. I have the book of law open, the book of lies, book four open in front of me. And like a cube picture in my mind, it went like click. And I was like, oh, this is actually one of the most well-organized, put-together descriptions of uh, esoteric magic that you get. Like, it's practical. Like, it's yeah. there. You have to wind through a labyrinth. Will it drive you fucking insane and will ruin every single thing that you plan to do in your life? Absolutely. I and, But I want to do it. But I yeah. looked to see it and I was just like, oh, fuck. 
like I had this moment where I just sat. I was like, oh, it's all starting to make sense. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. It's like it's like during the halftime show when the weekend went into that into all the light bulbs That's and mirrors. How I felt. Yeah. And I just start to see I was like, oh, it's all starting to piece together. And it's like he is he's technically this is the work. This is the thing that he was talking about. It's these all connected. It's all the spokes. And then you start to read them together because book four, despite the thing about the Jews eating babies, is an incredible breakdown. <laughs> it's a big despite to be it fair. Is, I mean, I just, I glance. I, I didn't highlight it. Some people would stop reading I, it at that point. It doesn't start with like it. It doesn't start with it. It is. So they they hook you and then they, then they tell you and that. And you're like, uh-oh, yeah, what am oh, I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> but he, the breakdown of how to go from meditation Meditation into ritual magic. It's simply the most concise like version of it I have ever seen. Because everyone kept saying book four is essential. Book four is essential. And I was like, oh, you tell me? You tell me what's fucking essential? You know, it's right. essential bourbon, coffee, weed. But then I read it and I'm just like, oh, actually, wow. So oh, yeah. and the Jewish people are like, oh, it's essential that people don't think we eat blood. Cut of it Christian out. I don't, I, we should cut that out. It should be out of the book. Yeah. Carve that. Just maybe a small carve out. <laughs> well, in the Book of Lies, Crowley had written, quote, Let the adept be armed with his magic root and provided with his mystic rose. Oh, and the magic root, of course, was the penis and the rose was the vagina. <laughs> the penis, oh, magic root, of course, was the penis and the rose was the vagina. I see, a rosy <laughs> vagina. Yeah. Now, when Royce read this, he was fucking livid because he thought that Crowley was publishing OTO secrets just as he'd published the secret rituals of the Golden Dawn. So... Roos set up a meeting with Crowley to discuss what Crowley had written. But shortly after the meeting began, Roos realized that Crowley had never even heard of the OTO and had come across the secrets of their order intuitively and independently. As the conversation progressed, Roos expounded the virtues of using the male and female fluids for a kind of sexual alchemy, while Crowley maintained that the real power of sex magic lay deep within the butthole. Wink it! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> By the end of it, Crowley had added a whole new grade to the OTO, the homosexual grade. Cool. In another example of Crowley's humor, he named it the 11th grade because the two number ones put together... Yeah. Look like two. They look like two penises. I'm starting to like this guy penises. more and more. <laughs> Have you ever seen? And you notice his signature he has the most is also fucking juvenile sense of humor. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> but you know, and his signature is a big cock too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get oh. to the problems that that introduces later on in his life. Yeah. No kidding. But Roos was actually so impressed with Crowley's ideas that he made Crowley the head of the British OTO. And thus, Crowley's chapter, the Mysteria Mystica Maxima, was born. Oh, yeah. But from what I can tell, sex magic, while it can be a beautiful thing, it can also be highly destructive in the hands of the wrong person. And Crowley did not use it with any sort of compassion or care for the people who participated in the rituals. I will say he... He did seem to start caring, but then it immediately fell apart. Of course, yeah. And, but also that being said, and I could be getting this totally wrong, sex magic also very much seems like a kind of an if, if you can't stand the heat sort of situation. Doesn't oh, seem yeah. like it's for everybody. Yeah, can't, it's like, do you want to be in between Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton when they were married? Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, it's a lot. And because sex magic is highly effective, it is... Um, 
what a romantic thing to do with your partner. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. You could do light a couple candles, make a lick. You could discover each other's Yeah, bubbles. the way you say it, it's so romantic. <laughs> but you can do, but it is, it, you got to do the prep. And yeah. I'm not just talking about lube and shaving. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, you got to be emotionally ready mm-hmm. for something like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a commitment. You're making yeah. a commitment to somebody or you're not because that's the one thing. It's all these. There's a lot of rules inside yeah. of sex magic where Crowley specifically says you should use people that don't know what they are. You are doing with them, which I don't think I don't like that. I like the agency. I like everybody being on board. Yeah, of course. Now, at first, Crowley had fun with sex magic. He, but he did these big private occult sex shows for a select few. And a journalist who attended one of these saw Crowley sitting in a black altar with a snake while women wearing masks danced. Ooh. Crowley then chanted, there is no good. Evil is good. Which, which commenced the ritual orgy. Okay. Whoa. What a day to be a snake. This is when he's the most rock and roll as far as I'm concerned. This is like oh, yeah. when he's like the like, woo, sinewy snake. You see why people like this kind of shit. I never it fully makes you feel un- sexy. I never fully understand the sexualized snake. Britney Spears danced with a snake. Uh, mm-hmm. Tia Carrera, I believe in Wayne's World, there was a snake. Yep. It looks like a shiny I, yeah. penis. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. The, is it just that? Yep. Is it just, is I'd it just say that. that. Okay. <laughs> now this, yeah, this little bit of Crowley's life, you know, like in between, like between the time that he, you know, b- gets made head of the British OTO and when he starts like the really getting into sex magic, that truly is when like Crowley is like the most rock and roll motherfucker in all of England. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he charged admission for people to watch these orgies, but he also for a brief period of time tried making money by managing a band called the Ragged Ragtime Girls. Whoa. Management, huh? <laughs> yeah. Man, you want to be a band manager. The Ragged yeah. Ragtime Girls. Oh, my God. Nothing more sexy than a rag and a lady and a raggy <laughs> lady with a rag. <laughs> I like a cleaning woman. Absolutely. This group, made up of seven women who danced and played the violin, eventually went on a fucking tour of Russia, and Crowley went along. Honestly... I can totally see the Russians being like, we're going to have to get them over here immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> That's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Because as long as there's seven girls, no one has to be great at dancing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's really the key. You get a bunch together because you just have all different spice. You have like all different spices. It's yeah. the Spice Girls. Oh, it's with there you Crowley. figured it out. You cracked yeah. the code of the Spice Girls. Why were they called that? But while Crowley was on tour, the Mysteria Mystica Maxima started falling apart because members weren't paying their dues. <sighs> Things were made even worse because Crowley had left the man least likely to hold it all together in charge. Victor Neuberg. Oh, I'm just no. not good with all the details. I'm not good. This is a detail-oriented job. There's Victor. a lot of bags, and I don't know whose bags is what. And some people can't have nuts. Some people, they got to go in first class because their legs are too long. Yeah, to go in the Wendy has a nut which. allergy. Oh, my God, oh, fucking, You're going to kill all of them. Mm. With his two, like, the two clumps of hair on the side of his head. (laughs) But even so, Crowley continued with the business of magic upon his return from Russia. And his next sex magic ritual, the Paris working, was going to both put Crowley on the magical map and put Neuberg in the sanitarium. Oh, my God. 
Now, when it came time to begin the ritual, Neuberg was already in a fragile emotional state. He'd backed off on Crowley temporarily and had fallen in love with a woman, but she'd committed suicide after Crowley didn't approve of the relationship. Or Jesus so Christ. that was Neuberg's take on the situation. Crowley, oh th this is this thing, this, especially during this Paris working and later on, people who come in and out of Crowley's life just get fucking run over. I don't know what yeah. happens. A lot of suicide. So really? many suicides surrounding him. So fucking many. Well, perhaps a lot of alcoholism and a lot of uh, mayhem oh, probably yeah. surrounded oh, him. Oh, definitely. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah, yeah. There's people, the, everyone, the people, like... Crowley attracted people who already had problems yeah. I guess a lot of times and he and a lot of times Crowley would because he would attract those people and then he would take advantage of them yeah well because well, up to point because up to some point right he viewed them as extra magically able yeah but that actually to me it's weird because you know maybe in one way he's correct somebody with extreme mental illness can probably access some of these parts of your mind in order to visualize all this shit maybe a little bit easier but the sure. problem is, is that there's no aftercare yeah. for any yeah. of this shit no well, i mean i guess it makes sense I, I suppose if you think about the audience that gg allen was able to sort of harvest not a lot of people being like well that was a great show back to wall street you know <laughs> i think there's a lot of people <laughs> probably similar ilk you know <laughs> now the point of the paris working was to invoke two gods mercury the god of writing was supposed oh. to inspire crowley to even greater poetic heights Jupiter, the god of good fortune, was going to give Crowley a much-needed cash infusion. In other words, this ritual was done for fame and money. Magic, Oof. baby. That's what everybody's hoping for. That's what everybody's chasing for. Everybody thinks you can use ritual magic to get money and fame and pussy and butt Remind. and all this kind of shit. But it is the long way to go. It's a long way to go when you could you could learn to play a guitar. It you could just work me. hard. You could just instead of doing all your fucking <laughs> rituals and all that, you could practice your scales. But you you know, guys did so much reading for this series, but I watched an episode of Goosebumps where this girl <laughs> she gave she was make she made a wish. A, a witch appears to her. She made a wish, and she said, "I want to be the best person on my basketball team." This is a true story. But what did that what did that mean? Everyone else on her basketball team got worse. She didn't that's get cool. better. <laughs> and, and that's very, but that's very interesting. And then it ends with her enemy making a wish. And you know what her enemy wishes for? To be, to have people worship her and have people surround her. But you know what happens to her enemy? She gets turned into a statue. You are, this is the set. These are magic lessons put exactly. inside of Goosebumps. Goosebumps is one of the most powerful shows that's ever happened. It's on Netflix. Watch all of them. Just you nude with Jerry on your Shut knee. Just eating pizza <laughs> watching Goosebumps. And so Crowley... Neuberg, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist named Walter Durante, yeah, an ex-mistress ex of Crowley's named Jane Sharon, and a few other magical acolytes, began the long, arduous task that was the Paris working. On the first attempt, the magical troupe got super high and had this big orgy, with cool. Crowley taking what he called the sacrament, which was his euphemism <laughs> for bottoming. I, this oh. is funny. Some people say, you, oh, you, oh, you take the sacrament, but actually, you leave a sacrament. Interesting. So he did, he did participate. <laughs> he did George Carlin's bit. Yeah. yeah, he, he yeah. Unlike Snoop Dogg and Snoop Dogg's porno, where he just walked around and watched all of his friends have sex with people. He didn't want to be in the He just was trying to orchestrate it and smoke see, weed. Exactly. <laughs> well, after Crowley took the sacrament they then painted a pentacle while neuberg danced oh, <laughs> that was followed by crowley scourging neuberg's buttocks oh. cross cutting a cross over his heart and binding neuberg's head in a chain not good 
Neuberg then had sex with Crowley again as two more members of Crowley's magical order chanted invocations. Problem, though, was that Neuberg wasn't super into it that night. And since he didn't shoot a load, the first working didn't work. Oh, no. What do you think this scene is like? When you're doing all this ritual magic shit, everybody's fucking all night doing all sorts of drugs. I mean, a lot of different fragrances. You got (laughs) Alistair Crowley becoming more Crowley-like every fucking day. You're sitting there. Crowley's there waiting. Your magical guide, the magus, is sitting there being like, come on, Newberg, with, <laughs> with the sacrament, let's go. Like, he's just yelling. He's waiting to move on. You're sitting there going like, ah, oh, fuck, I gotta get hard. I gotta right. get hard for it. Oh, like, sad. looking at his butt shake in front of you, and just meanwhile, all the other people who are done have already come, are sitting staring at you, watching, smoking, and you're just like, oh, God, I just know that they're all just all so much pressure, and then you can't come. It's yeah. a nightmare. Yeah. Ooh. But the first working wasn't a total loss. Crowley did claim to have seen Mercury briefly and, quote, felt the god's tongue inside his brain and saw swarms of kudasai while a sword of light cut across the sky. Cool. But Crowley was nothing if not persistent. And when they tried it again the next day, Neuberg fucking came loads. Nice. So much <laughs> And as a result, Crowley claimed to have spoken to the god Mercury. Mercury! Mercury told him this. Every drop of semen which Hermes sheds <laughs> is a world. People upon the worlds are like maggots upon an apple. All forms of life bred by the worlds are in the nature of parasites. All words are extrita. They represent wasted semen. Oh, well, this is a strange God, isn't it? It's, just, it's true. It's this idea that every time they really, because this is the, the very beginning of sex magic, Crowley said that everything had to be done with very intense purpose. Yeah. So they truly did believe any dollop of mist cum that was dropped uh-huh. was a waste. It was whole universes of magic just being swept away. But then the thing is that when you got so much fucking cum coming in and out and doing all this kind of shit, who can sort all this shit? And obviously Neuberg wasn't a great tour. <laughs> manager so he doesn't right. really know and make sure to keep it all together so they are it really is a thing that person just saying oh, nutty nutty you left a drop so he has to go down and mean like lick it up because yeah. mercury told him to yeah okay i guess it's good for the janitor yeah well, extrapolating, well, extrapolating from those nuggets of wisdom, Crowley was able to write two texts called The Book of the High Magic Art and The Esoteric Record, both of which were compiled by Neuberg. However, Crowley was also told that he needed to be humiliated sexually if he wanted to succeed in the working. And so, as Jane Sharon and Victor Neuberg watched, Crowley got fucking reamed by Walter Duranty. Yeah. <laughs> when in Paris. Yeah. These types of rituals, in which multiple people had sex with Aleister Crowley, these went on for six weeks straight. Oh, day my road. After day you know i i i I know rosebud i know rosebud is a sled but this is the new rosebud in town no dude it's his butthole (laughs) it's not a rosebud that thing's a ruse boss (laughs) it was all said and done they had performed 24 magical workings (laughs) shit dude can i ask like maybe this is uh, obviously because i do the character work often here but of course do you think that crowley made noise like, mm. do you think that this was like, mm. Mm, ha, uh, mm, ha, mm. very good. Ha, ha. I, I would see Release. him being utterly silent. 
Yeah, because they're supposed to be There's very no serious. There's no way he was silent. There's <laughs> no way. I wonder. What do you think? Like, like uh, human beings uh, make noises. Yeah. Again. Again. <laughs> I don't know if he said words, but I'm saying he wasn't silent. I actually uh, have grunting. to. I, for those of you that know, sex magic practitioners, we have a lot of you. Email us, sidestorieslpotl, gmail.com, because I'd like to know, do sounds during sex magic help or hurt? Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. I don't, know why, so I don't know why my brain's there. I don't yeah. know either. I don't know either. I just think about textures, sounds, <laughs> textures. <laughs> well, well, on the fourth working, Crowley had a cold, and Neuberg was angry, presumably after he'd watched the man he was still in love with getting railed by another man. Oh. And, of course, the bad vibes ruined the ritual. They claim this lover spat summoned an entity who warned them that they were unleashing a magical force that would result in international war. <gasps> and they claimed that this oopsie doodle resulted in World War One, which broke out a few months later. Someone dropped the cum. God damn it. <laughs> we looks like we got to fight the world. <laughs> yeah. Great Norman Donald was a bit pissy one night. World <sighs> War One started. That's what God. they claimed. I'm very I think they are irresponsible. Well, if <laughs> It is that important. Yeah, get it right. We've said it before. The group also claimed to have relived past lives during at least one working. And on that occasion, Crowley and Neuberg fully acted out the parts of two people that they believed were past reincarnations of themselves. Hmm. I'm Minnie. I'm Nanny. Is that? <laughs> In the scene they performed, Neuberg was Motocles, an aspirant looking to join a temple. I oh, have proud. my forms, and I'm ready to do the pentacle openings and the banishings. <laughs> and Crowley was a female temple dancer named Aya. God, I just want to see his fucking moves, dude. I'm yeah. sure they were great. He was very athletic. Yeah, kind of. Well, in the scene, Neuberg, as Motocles, was made to watch Crowley as Aya dance. But Neuberg's ordeal as Martocles was that he was not allowed to become aroused. <laughs> oh, it's this is going to be, be difficult. How do you look at Alistair dance and not oh, get yeah. aroused? Yeah. Oh, this is a tough one. Yeah, yeah, look here. I could touch the my toes with my tongue. By this standard, <laughs> I'm a fucking wizard. No. <laughs> I can touch the top of my ear with my foot. Yeah. Well, if he did become aroused, he would have to rape Crowley slash Aya or face castration. Now, of course, Neuberg couldn't help but log a bone. But because he was so moved by the dancing, he chose not to rape Crowley slash Aya. Oh, no. However, he was not castrated either. And the two of them in the past life they were acting out were thrown out of the temple and became lovers. Oh. This was only the 14th working, a little over halfway through. And I think it obviously fucked with Neuberg. Yeah, I oh, think so. Oh, so it didn't go well. <laughs> no, none of this went well. Oh, the thing man. about the, the Paris workings is that on one level, it sounds like this very... It sounds like imagining like you do get in like a flow and like a mind meld with all these people orchestrating all of this shit at one go, all watching everybody fuck the same big tubby guy who's yelling in the middle of it. Right. right. And it's kind of like you can kind of get into it. But at some point, if you like really do have feelings involved, which is why like poly relationships are so tricky and all these things are so tricky where you're like looking and being like, but I love you, Alistair. Like there's right. like a minute where he's just like. But I actually kind of like love you. I kind of look up to you weirdly as like you're my daddy boyfriend. And mm -hmm. I, I, I feel weird about all this, like not Papa Bone. 
<laughs> like that's hard. Yeah, no, that's the, that's the trick. I see Alistair in the middle spreading his butthole wide open, a bunch of people jerking off around him in a painting, and I name it the Ice Cream Boys. <laughs> Carly did, however, have lines that he would not cross. When he was, quote unquote, told during another working that the supreme sexual magic act was the ritual rape, murder and dismemberment of a virgin. Crowley passed, oh. saying that even he had his limits. Yikes. Honestly, yeah. he's going to be going like, yeesh. I don't know about that one. I, can we go to Bennigan's? Uh, after the Rock Terrio uh, story, after all of this horrible cults that we've covered, good for him. Le- yeah. Legitimately good that he yeah. said no to all of that horrible shit. Well, I think yeah. uh, anybody who is a real magical practitioner knows that that type of shit can, I mean, besides just it is murder and it's a yeah. crime, um, but you also, uh, it fucks with your juju. Like, it's yeah, not good. Yeah, I think good. so. Yeah, yeah, I think with so. Adolfo Consanzo is yeah. an example. Yeah. But Carly's limits didn't include pushing Norberg to his. By the end of the Paris working, Victor Neuberg, possibly because of the magic, but most likely because he watched the man he loved get railed for six weeks, <laughs> suffered a nervous breakdown. I just can't deal with one more <laughs> railing. One more. <laughs> no, goddammit. Wait a second. I, just, Wait, I know I, I'm with you, uh, Neuberg. I know you're upset. I know you're jealous. God damn it. But how about one more? God damn it. <laughs> well, after a time in a fucking sanitarium, oh my God. Neuberg annulled his membership and his oath in Crowley's order, and Crowley, in return, cursed him. Oh. Neuberg lived as a broken man in fear of Crowley for the rest of his life and was utterly unable to recover. He was never the same. Now, Crowley attempted to reconnect with Neuberg years later, but Neuberg's wife turned Crowley away. Go away, you bad man. <laughs> Go away, you bad wizard man. You can see him in the big hat, like, outside. I also found that the, the big hat came when, when he was doing the AA. That's, like, was yeah. his hat. But him yeah. just outside being like, Neuberg, I know you're mad at me. That's why I brought this edible arrangement. Oh, that's it's very nice. I'm sorry. I, I took some of the strawberries. I simply couldn't help myself. Well, absolutely. They're cut into little roses. In response, when Neuberg's wife turned him away, he sent whatever fucking scarlet woman he had by his side at that time to go to Neuberg's house and flash her tits and harass the neighbors. It's like, yes, yes, be afraid of her titties. I'll show mine as well. Look at, oh, look at Alice's titties. Look at his magical titties. Aren't you afraid of them? You also don't have to lift lift up your shirt again, Henry. It is just Marcus and I here. But he, so he was heckled by nipples. Yeah. Heckled by nipples. Ah, just like yeah. fucking twitch. Ah. Oh my. Oh my goodness. Exactly. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right. Give the moms in your life an aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the aura frame up in my home. 
We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Yeah, we do. Do you love saving money? Oh my God, you bet. Then Philo may be your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. That's amazing. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles. It's just a better way to watch TV. Get with it, people. Philo has an unlimited DVR for one year. Save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. Philo allows for multiple profiles and multiple streams, meaning that your children or significant other can't ruin your queue. Never miss a minute of shows like, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race. You're going to watch it. You're going to love it. You're going to get involved with it. And it's an extravaganza. You're going to love it. With Philo, you can start watching in seconds for less money and less hassle. Try it yourself with your seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash left. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash L-E-F-T to get 50% off your first month. Well, Neuberg, unfortunately, died in 1940 having never recovered from his time with Aleister Crowley. No one does. Wow. They really don't. No one comes out of their time with Aleister, Aleister Crowley unscathed. It's hard because they're just, they are they are working with a lot of different forces and some right. people for reasons different than others. So it's yeah. weird. You have to be shored up psychologically before you start this shit because it can so. ruin your, your whole life. Okay. Now, if you'll remember, the whole point of the Paris working was poetic inspiration and money. And it kind of sort of worked. After the working, Crowley got a check for 500 pounds and his latest book came back from the printers, which was the work of Mercury. Hmm. 
Crowley's bronchitis also cleared up for a time, and he got some free drugs from a friend, Hell yeah, which dog. was the work of Jupiter. And I think it's safe to say bronchitis, it's the, it's the only disease that also sounds like a dinosaur. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is safe to say, yeah. That is yeah. safe. That is safe. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go on. And so, with the equivalent of $18,000 in his pants and a pocket full of opium, Crowley oh. high-fived his buddies and declared the Paris working a success. Yo, let's just straight up say, we did it. Honestly, <laughs> pocket full of opium, a couple hundred bucks, all right. Well, to him, it was also a foray into this, an creating, what I now, in hindsight, I see that this was him creating a little bit of a template of can we create a magical, little magical world where only yeah. we live and we can do all of this shit on our own? What can come out of this if we do this? Yeah. But in the long run, the price of the Paris working was too high. In pushing Neuberg past his emotional limit, Crowley had lost not only the best magical partner he'd ever have, but also the guy who was bankrolling the whole fucking operation. Yeah, oh, it's always with no. these wizards. They don't understand that magic costs money. Yes, and it I does. know I do understand. I, I, feel, I feel for y'all that don't have a benefactor, that don't have a Neuberg. But honestly, get yourself a Neuberg. And treat Neuberg. Get yourself a Neuberg. How the hell do you get yourself? Is there a, is there a magazine? Uh, technically, it's the fucking ultimate d- d- warlock simp. All yeah, right. get yourself a Neuberg, but treat your Neuberg nicely. Treat your yeah. Neuberg well. Handle your Neuberg with care. Feed, wash, and let your <laughs> Neuberg out for walks at all times. Uh-huh. Well, it's a person, not a dog. Yeah. But Crowley, as always, didn't pay too much mind, and in fact refocused his energies temporarily on another run at Mount Kanchenjunga. But as he was training in Switzerland... World War I broke out all around Crowley, and the entire world changed. Now, no matter what else we say about Aleister Crowley, he was oddly patriotic in the way that many upper-class British men were. He offered his services to his country upon his return from Switzerland, but much to his dismay, he was denied because of, one, his reputation, and two, a nasty case of phlebitis in his left leg. What is phlebitis? <laughs> I, I, I have no fucking clue what phlebitis think, is. I've never heard of phlebitis before. I, I, know I like forgot gout. to look up what phlebitis is. Ah, blood clots. Ben, Ooh, you got phlebitis. Oh, you got it. Hey, cool. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a wizard now. <laughs> you are. Nice. Yeah, it's close to thrombosis. Mm. Oh, cousins, yeah, thrombophlebitis. Oh, I love the names. This is really fun. I love it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, this denial absolutely crushed Crowley, and he therefore took a long, hard look at his own life. He was near in 40, and his books weren't selling, and neither were new OTO members arriving. So, Crowley decided to pull up stakes and move to New York. Sailing. Oh, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I'm wizarding here. Honk, honk. <laughs> and he sailed to America on the ill-fated Lusitania, which, less than a year after Crowley was a passenger on the ship, would be sunk off the coast of Ireland by Germans, pushing <gasps> America ever closer to joining World War One. And if this was a movie, you know that he'd be on the Lusitania and he'd be like using the toilet and come out and being like, ah, this ship is awful. I hopefully it will sink. And then like walks <laughs> off the boat. You know, it's that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Magical Forrest Gump. That's fucking <laughs> Alistair Crowley. He is that. <laughs> but coincidentally, Crowley's eventual job in New York involved preventing America from entering the war. But before that came about, Crowley tried his hand 
hand at making a living at being a magician in America. But it's not like Crowley arrived in New York as an impressive specimen. All he had was 200 bucks and a wax paper charter that named him Honorary Magus of the Societas Rosicruciana, which didn't exactly open a lot of doors. I also have a reel. Um, You should check my LinkedIn. We're going to have to check that out for sure, good sir. I actually get mad because we all know I love a lanyard. You love lanyards. Why isn't it? Why can't a wizard's lanyard inspire enough awe and strength? He had to earn that lanyard by speaking to himself. My Marmaduke cartoon that I keep in my wallet has more power than that lanyard. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Carly did manage to host a few parties where he acted as a curiosity. He'd accurately guessed the birth date, birth hour, and rising sign of everyone present, but most people saw him as a strange man with an air of wit and quote a bullet head and cl- and a clumsy figure. You're talking about the prophet. That's <laughs> his body. Head. That's our bodies. That's, That's what we're built. That's yeah. why men, men of great ideas can't be straddled with abs. Yeah, with any luck, you'll be a character in the uh, Puppet Master series, Mr. Bullethead. Yeah, that'd be sweet. <laughs> Pretty soon, Crowley was broke, and for the first time in his life, 39 and holding, he had to take a day job to make ends meet. First time in his life? First time. What toppings are you looking for? Ah, yes, (sighs) the magical symbiosis of Reese's peanut butter cups and praline. (laughs) Oh, I love Mixing up the scoops, mixing up the scoops. Stone Cold Stonery? Stone Cold cold Creamery. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely changed under their new management. (laughs) Now just a dollop of the sacrament. Uh, That's... (laughs) You're going to come in the ice cream? Uh, It's a sacrament. Okay. I just destroyed a thousand worlds. No shit. (laughs) Well, through connections, Crowley got a writing gig at a pro-German propaganda rag called the Fatherland. Uh, This is World War I. This is not World War II. This is not Uh, Nazis. Uh, This is pointy hats. This is the pointy hats ones. Yeah. This is Zekaiza and all that. Yeah, yeah. That song. Yeah. 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 But the Fatherland's main objective was to keep America neutral and out of the war. But Crowley's motives in working for the Fatherland are murky. Yes. Many people say that Crowley was merely an opportunist, writing anti-British propaganda both for the paycheck and as revenge for how his native country had refused his services in the war effort. But Crowley later claimed that he was a British patriot working undercover for the British Secret Service. He said that his articles in both the Fatherland and another pro-German publication called The International were so outlandish that he actually helped push America towards war. In his mind, he's correct. Is he? Um, Does he believe that? I actually, I... I really don't know because there, there is he is such a dickhead. Yes. That like it's feasible. It's like weirdly feasible that he would go. He would take the job knowing that he, he was trying to make money. But then in his mind, like um, like if a socialist gets an acting job working for a massive corporation where they in a mind, they're like, I'll change it from the inside. Like he has this idea like, oh, I'll get this job and then I'll change it. Yeah. Everyone will see. I'll put a message in there. But I mean, like but the problem is that your pay stubs say that you're getting paid from the fatherland. Right. Yeah. yeah. For two years, Crowley wrote articles with titles like The New Parsifal, in which he compared Kaiser Wilhelm to the knight who searched for the Holy Grail. He said, mm-hmm. this is beyond ridiculous that anyone would think this is serious. 
When Germany bombed London, Crowley wrote that they should try again because they missed his aunt's house in Croydon. <laughs> and he included her address in the article to make sure they got her the next go round. That's to objectively be, funny. It is objectively funny. <laughs> he would be hired at Mother Jones. He would have a job working today. He was just maybe born in the wrong era. Yeah. But really, Crowley spent most of his time writing the same propaganda that the rest of the people at the newspaper were peddling. And when Crowley was questioned by New York's attorney general for his pro-German activities, he admitted that he had no connection with British intelligence services. Well, that's the that was the one thing that they said was that's like that weird thing that kind of makes it gray is because he technically wasn't ever convicted of treason, right? Like, so there was like a whole, there was something there, but it's mostly just, I think it's because they thought that even if he was doing this on purpose, that it was really stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But even though Crowley did have a day job to pay the bills, he never stopped doing magic. In 1914, he performed a sex magic ritual to attract another scarlet woman, but it ultimately failed. In the meantime, Crowley spent what little money he made as a writer doing sex magic with New York sex workers who had no idea what Crowley was using them for, nor did they particularly care. What? Yeah, yeah. you just this job continues to surprise every day. You wake up and you never know how you're going to go to bed. <laughs> Somewhat less sadly, Crowley also during this time laid the foundations for the first OTO chapter in America, the Agape Lodge, and named a thelemite named Wilfred Smith as his Magister Templi successor in 1915. Is it Templi or Templi? I think it's Templi. Yeah, also, Magister Templi. Yeah. I might be is wrong. It, is it agape or agape? <laughs> it depends on what side of the door you're on. You know what I mean? <laughs> and with this, Crowley was able to take yet another promotion. And on his 40th birthday, Crowley accepted the grade of Magus from himself. Alistair, oh, you're it. a Magus now. Thank you, Alistair. <laughs> That's good. Congratulations, yeah. Alistair. And that put him one step closer to joining AWOS as an Ipsisimus. There is actually in the confessions, this is the one of those, this is a part of Crowley that kind of broke me was that he talks about this time period. He hated America, right? Yeah. He fucking hated it. Oh, he didn't like it here. No, he absolutely hated <laughs> well, it. It was very few people were buying his bullshit. Yeah, uh, yes. Yes. I think that's got a lot to do with it. He also saw a bunch of weird. He just wasn't having a good time. He said the only thing worth seeing in America was the Grand Canyon. Honestly, he um, should have gone to Tacoma, Washington. He would have been a hit. He would have yeah. loved him. But there was there is a thing that he talks about. We, we talked about before being a babe in the abyss and the concept of the abyss. He said during this time period, he was incredibly lost and he didn't know what to do. And the magic magic just wasn't coming for him. It wasn't coming for him anymore. No. And he was he was stuck in a rut. And there was a part of it that really hit home because I was like, it's it, it's articulating the feeling of like, you know, I don't know. I mean, you may be shocked, but there are days when I wake up and I'm like not feeling funny. Really? Yeah. I know sometimes I'm really? not. You know, sometimes it's not all the grade A material you've come to expect. Well, that's amazing. On my various ways. I know. I can't like, imagine I'm that. infallible. Everybody says he's perfect. He's the best yeah. entertainer that's ever worked. Absolutely. Yeah. I understood this concept and there was something about using the ritual magic kind of get up out of it the magus thing then he sort of because the magus put him on the same level as muhammad and jesus wait mm -hmm. he did that to himself he did that to himself but he did that because of i forget the the, the twist he did it but he labeled he said it was because of the years he spent 
wandering, doing nothing. And I really do think that there is a lot to that that's actually applicable to people that work in the arts, where it's like the idea of like sometimes walking away and going into a desert of whatever you're doing and then coming back really helps you. All right. Yeah. Well, in order to solidify his title of Magus, Crowley went on a magical retirement to New Hampshire. There, he caught a frog, <gasps> presented it with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I love and, you, bapti- <laughs> and baptized it with the name Jesus before releasing it. Oh, you're so cute, little Jesus. How oh, I love you all. Go in there, Ribbit. lily pad. Ribbit. Hang out over there. <laughs> Then throughout the day, Crowley followed the frog around on his frog business (laughs) as he identified both the frog and himself with the old eon, the age of the father that Crowley had written about in the Book of the Law. Then that night, Crowley captured the frog again (gasps) and, and addressed it as if he was talking to Jesus Christ himself. No, Jesus of Nazareth, how thou art taken in my snare. Oh, my life, thou hast plagued me and affronted me. You're such a cute little belly. In thy name, with all the other free souls in Christendom, oh, your little feet. I wish I didn't have to do this. I've been tortured in my boyhood. All delights have been forbidden unto me. All that I had has been taken from me, and that which is owed to me, they pay not in thy name. Next. Oh, I love your little feet, little eyes. <laughs> Next, Crowley condemned the Jesus frog to death. Execution for you! What did the frog do? And he crucified it. Crucify <laughs> him! Even what he the took, fuck? He took a little spear of destiny and poked it in his side. I just and then am, once, I wish I didn't have to do this to you, little guy. <laughs> you don't have to! He's Jesus now! Oh, my... And once the Jesus frog was dead, Crowley ate the legs to incorporate it into his being and burned the remains to symbolically consume the old eon in fire. He's just fat. Well, hey. Another wacky Wednesday. I guess <laughs> he, so. But he, oh, it's weird because I actually think it's prescient. It's, it's interesting that he says the idea that he is Osiris. Yeah. He was, he is, and I really think you'll see more and more of it. Like, he is the the burning father god. He needs to, like, the sacrificial father that needs to die to let everything else open up. Yeah. Well, Crowley believed that the result of the crucifixion of the frog was immediately apparent because upon his return from New Hampshire, he was approached by a young woman asking for a job as his secretary. And according to Crowley, the woman bore a striking resemblance to the toad. <laughs> 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 I love you, frog woman. Oh, that's very nice. <laughs> you showed up right on time. That's Let great. me see your flippers. <laughs> I mean ants. <laughs> but even though Crowley had become a magus after crucifying the frog, the gods had still seemed to abandon him. In the meantime, Crowley went to New Orleans and wrote a novel called Moonchild about a psychic detective named Simon If who solved crimes using the principles of Thelema. I honestly... Ooh, is I'm, this book good? It's supposed to be very good. I'm, yeah, it's I'm supposed now, to be great. I have oh. been building up all of his... The books, anything that's not his poetry <laughs> and anything that doesn't have anything to do with his painting is right. great. His magical works are great. And the Moonchild was written kind of out of like... I have to get to, I have to get money. So he's just like, what do I do? And he thought about it in a really smart way. He literally is like, I will create a character. I'll make a fun character. So it's just like, kind of like a Pink Panther style. And pulpy crime stuff at that time was very popular. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. It's cool. Yeah. 
Then, on May 4th, 1917, Crowley had a dream that his mother died. And two days later, she did indeed expire at the age of 72. Well, you have to clarify also, he woke up with his fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Crowley didn't care for his mother. But what he did care about was the fact that his mom left him an inheritance of 3,000 pounds. Which in today's cash is the equivalent of $125,000. All right. You know, like the shot of him at the funeral with a big hat on, just like wiping his tears with money. (laughs) Oh, what a terrible, terrible day. (laughs) However, before the money kicked in, legal troubles caused even more financial hardships for Crowley when the head of his OTO chapter in London was arrested for performing fraudulent spiritualist performances at Mysteria Mystica Maxima. Mm. Oh my god, and of course Crowley himself guilty of fraudulent uh, conspiracy theory. (laughs) I don't know what's going on with me today. I literally don't know what's happening to me. (laughs) Did somebody die that was really corny? (laughs) Yeah, he's like, it's your Carranza. Mary is dead after this recording. And it just we channeled him. Yeah. In order to raise the cash to keep the Triple M open and to pay for passage back to England to address the charges, Crowley sold Bolskin, his uh, estate at Loch Ness. Oh. When he returned to America, Crowley was promoted to editor of The International, the other pro-German propaganda magazine he worked for. Yeah, is, he keeps getting promoted in the propaganda machine. Yeah, but it's yeah. not a good... This is very bad no. to be promoted there. Go, I mean, what's next, you know? But in a particularly shrewd move, Crowley, using pseudonyms, actually used this magazine to publish both Simon If detective stories and articles on magic, with titles like The Revival of Magic, The Message of Master Therion, and an article simply titled Cocaine. Cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) The most accurate title yet. Crowley then engaged in various sex magic rituals with women to whom he gave names like Eve, the dog, and the camel. The woman was named the camel because she had assisted Crowley during, quote, a dry and desiccated period. All right. Not nothing to do with her physical appearance. But dude, nothing. no, no, no they're good, woman, good. The woman that was called the dog, she was called the dog because she resembled Anubis. Oh, yes. Like a long, she had a long nose yes, and yes. he was entranced by her. But again, say whatever you want about Alistair Crowley, right? He, you know, call him a liar, call him a fucking horrible poet, all this kind of shit. But this dude can get some butt. Like for a guy who all goggly eyed and this fucking big, weird head and big, weird body and shit like that. He women loved Alistair Crowley. Some. The sick some. ones. Yeah. Yeah. Very, but yes. I like him. Like that too. This is what you gotta have. You you, you play to the audience. It shows up. Well, sure, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 Crowley, de- he definitely attracted women constantly throughout his entire life. But they were they had problems. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and he was able he was able to find people who were having who were going through something, and he knew how to get his fucking claws in them. Yeah, uh, they liked he liked that. Well, you know, they, yeah. They, yeah, I don't know what they felt, but he liked it. Alistair yeah. also had ninety nine problems, but a lady apparently was not one of them. No, it's mostly the men. Yes, indeed. Well, like the others, these women had visions. Like when Eve saw a dark farmhouse transform into an equally dark vagina, which in turn transformed into a group of soldiers with guns surrounding an enthroned king. Man, that's like a fucking Pink Floyd video. That's kind of sweet. Yeah, man. Hey, honey, what you cooking in here? It smells like an extremely dark vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Tim Burton directed it. No kidding. (laughs) Eventually, though, the International was shut down and Crowley ended all of his sex magic relationships. 
in need of a magical retirement, Crowley went upstate to Esopus Island on the Hudson River near Hyde Park, New York. Oh, Hyde Park. Beautiful. Hyde Park is so beautiful. It's, it's where Franklin Delano Roosevelt's from, you know. Oh, I love Hyde Park. Honestly, it's very <laughs> nice. It is. I love it up there. There, Crowley realized that he'd been focusing on sex magic too much. Oh, all of his other magical disciplines had atrophied. So Crowley spent weeks doing drugs and meditating while some very sweet and very patient neighboring farmers kept him alive with periodic deliveries of eggs, milk, and corn. Thank you for the yellow food. <laughs> I enjoy all of it. I mix it up into a batch and it's kind of a weird little mix and I just throw it down in my gullet. You wouldn't believe where it comes out. All right, That's well, I'll be seeing you soon. You don't want to come in here. If the barns are rocking, just know there's a lot of... A lot of fucked up shit happening in here you don't want to see. Yeah, probably a lot of like Protestants and uh, maybe some Quakers out there helping him out. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Crowley returned to New York City refreshed and he decided to switch gears. Oh, yeah. Alistair full of corn. Now we're talking. <laughs> like a musket. Corn and butter. Oh, oh so much corn yeah. and butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, time for another ritual. Mm-hmm. Crowley had decided that he wanted to paint. Oh. And, and he wrote this about I, his newfound hobby. There's sometimes when he's just so honest. I like this guy. <laughs> I have been under the misapprehension that I was a great poet. I was clearly mistaken. Paint <laughs> is my real medium, and I am destined to become one of the outstanding artists of my age. Wow, look at that. paintings were fucking terrible. They're terrible. awful. They're but you know what? They are but creepy, I, but they're I, fucking terrible. I'd rather have an Aleister Crowley painting than an Aleister Crowley poetry book. I was looking into them <laughs> because the original editions, okay. um, some of these books, I was like trying to find them. They're worth good money. Yeah. Huge money. Oh, yeah. I assume so. Well, in January of 1919, Crowley connected with a school teacher named Leah Hersig. And in her, he found his most extreme Scarlet Woman. Did you see that picture I sent you last night, Marcus? I did. She, we do look alike. <laughs> yes, I know. We, we do same look build. alike. And like, it's a, there's a funny little synchronicity. He met, they got together in January of 1919. My birthday is January 19th, 1983. And I remember she was in yoga and the yoga instructor was like, get your butthole out of here. <laughs> and she's just like, I tried to find peace. <laughs> now I'm worried about people looking at my butthole hole every day boy it's great to be humiliated in front of a room full of people yeah, you just, just, you're very sensitive to it, it though, was, as well. i was sensitive there's no reason for bleeding. men to be making crap <laughs> making, making cracks about no one should be making any cracks about anybody's butthole oh. in yoga That's we shouldn't funny. be thinking about each other's buttholes okay all I'm saying. not even mm-hmm. my own okay not unless it's perennium yoga have you ever been yeah. to perennium I love it's that incredible place. yeah <laughs> now despite the square job leah was perfect for Crowley's entire vibe. After they had sex for the first time, Crowley pulled out a sketchbook and asked what he should paint her as. And she replied, quote, Paint me as a dead soul. Oh my god, it's like that scene from Titanic, but uh, if the but dude was the full of corn. the painting was awful, yeah, 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 and the dude was full of corn. <laughs> but after almost a year together in New York, Crowley returned to England alone, and began plans to establish an Abbey of Thelema with the inheritance money he had come in his way. The money, however, hadn't kicked in by the time Crowley arrived, so in the meantime, he stayed at his auntie's house in Croydon. I have to go to my aunt's house. You wanted that house destroyed. (laughs) I am not your nephew. 
I am Freyta Pedrobo. I am the great mages, and I would like some English muffins. If you have them for breakfast, I won't curse you to death. Oh my, you just see his aunt just be like, why the fuck did my sister have kids? Do you have cable? <laughs> shut, shut up. There, Crowley's bronchitis and asthma took a turn for the worse, and Crowley went to a doctor for some relief. Incredibly, the doctor prescribed heroin. Cool-ass doctor. I don't know. That's not good. And that was where the addiction that Crowley would carry for the rest of his life began. The tale as old as time in pharmaceuticals. Yep. Meanwhile, Crowley's old enemies in the press heard that he was back in town and attacked him accordingly. John Bull had heard about Crowley's two-year stint writing anti-British propaganda for a pro-German newspaper in America. So Horatio Bottomley directed his paper to print headlines calling for the arrest of the traitorous sorcerer. I understand completely. And then, of course, Crowley's got to pull the Urkel. Did I do that? It's like, yeah, yeah for two years. You wrote nothing but propaganda against your people, and now you're with us again. It was a character. It was satire. Was it? <laughs> Escaping the bad press, Crowley moved to Paris and arranged for the arrival of Leah Hersig, whom Crowley was now calling the Ape of Toss. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's sad, though, because she was skinny and nice. Yeah. It's not about their physical appearance, which I actually like. Yes, he's yeah. insane. she was insane, though. Leah Herzig was very, very, very insane. Great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was intense. All right. Herzig, however, was not Crowley's only sexual conquest at the time. He'd also been corresponding with the Hollywood actress and OTO member named Jane Wolfe. And he'd been performing sex magic with another American woman named Nanette Shumway. These two women were Jane Wolfe was hot. Yeah. Like, she was hot. Yeah. yeah? Yeah. Okay. But since Leah and Crowley were still fucking on the regular, Leah Hersig got pregnant and gave birth to Crowley's third daughter and oh. mercifully named her Anne Lee, adding the infant to a young son Leah already had from another man. And this baby turned out okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> even though... Oh, uh, God damn it. <laughs> Never mind yep. then. Oh, yeah, but, we'll see. But even though they gave Crowley's third daughter a normal name, they gave her the unfortunate nickname of Poupée, which oh, means gosh. it means doll in French, but it do just doesn't sound right in English. Poupé. You can't call a kid Poupée. Yeah, if you no. call this kid... It's just, I mean, it's cute. It's just, it, honestly, oh, you can only do that if the child is like, I'm so sorry, I have diarrhea. And be like, honey, it's okay. You're, it's like poopy. Poupé. It's fancy. Yeah. But, no, uh, no, man. No, it's, it's just not. your, you just named yeah. your daughter Poopy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Shortly, I, uh, fuck. Well, shortly after Poupé was born, <laughs> Nanette was pregnant as well, albeit oh. from another man other than Crowley. Then Crowley's inheritance finally kicked in, and he was flush with cash for the first time in years. Using this money, Crowley took his two sex magic partners, one of them pregnant, along with the three children they already had between them, and moved them to a small seaport town in Sicily called Cefalu. There... Alistair Crowley would establish a magical community that would serve as the backdrop for the most dark, most dastardly, most debated, and most deadly time in Crowley's life. The Abbey of Thalema. And very good use of the Crowley-esque alliteration. Thank you for noticing. Um, I have a little quote of what he thought he was doing 
with the Abbey of Philema. Because Great. when he became a magus, because I was really interested to see what his opinion was, because we have the three main sources, it seems to be, we, we the main one that you are using is Gary Lockman, Alistair Crowley's, then we have Perdurabo. Perdurabo was written by a member of who is a Thelemite, who like knew Alistair, like he worked under people who had worked with Alistair Crowley. So technically it was like an in-house version of the story. And, and it then was, there was warts and all. Oh, absolutely. They do a good job in that book. But then Confessions, I wanted to see what was his take. And so he said as a magus, he had now different responsibilities to the world. The book of the law was given to mankind chiefly in order to provide it with an impeccable principle of practical politics. I regard this as more important for the moment than its function as a guide and its evolution towards consciousness godhead. It is only while writing this chapter that I have come to understand that the real purport of the book, and is evident that the secret chiefs have prevented me from putting on the clutch, as I may say, from releasing the enormous energy of the new aeon, until on one other hand, I had become capable of directing that energy wide. And on the other, until civilization had reached the crisis in which my interference would save the race from crashing into chaos. So he, for three years, I have labored to construct an abbey of Thelema in Sicily on the principles of the law, so that I might have to experience the problems of government. These years have taught me how to deal with all classes of people, of all ages and races. Well, horribly. Yes. yes. Yeah, so wait. So his. So it was. So the Abbey of Thelema in his mind. That was him, like being president. That like was he him being to see pre- what it was like to be president. That's what he was saying. So he, he made could, himself president. He made himself president. <laughs> wow. He said the Abbey of Thelema, much like other people that would create breakoff groups. This is the closest he would come to be a, a cult leader. Yeah. Where of he course. would. He wanted to say because his belief was that Thelema could also be used to govern the world. Um, mm. He would kind of lightly go on to say that Thelemites should rule the world, and anybody who's not a Thelemite should be a slave to the Thelemites. Oh. But that's like a whole thing. I think that he got it. I think he was feeling himself when he was writing that. But the Abbey of Thelema was his idea. He thought I could create a world government and this will be my first attempt mm. to create one. A little bit. Where it's all under me. Everyone's following no the law. But it doesn't seem like he has enough constituents or votes or anything. <laughs> no. Oh, no. the Magus. You don't vote for a Magus. I thought you okay. jump for a Magus. Okay. Yeah, right. Now, overall, Cefalu was a fucking beautiful place. I mean, this is the Sicilian countryside. It was oh, surrounded yes. by gardens filled with flowers and fruits and rolling green hills. But the property itself, where Crowley's magical community lived, was a dank, rundown farmhouse that lacked plumbing, electricity, or gas. My White House! Aww. <laughs> <laughs> but from Crowley's perspective, despite the fact that there were two small children, an infant and another on the way to care for, all he needed was running water, rocks to climb on and nearby temples to Diana and Jupiter. And so the house itself was quickly consecrated with an act of sex magic and Crowley dubbed the main house on the property the whore's cell. Man, I I, I missed that episode of Fixer Upper where Chip and uh, Jojo buttfuck. <laughs> and, 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 and then boom, the house is all fixed I up. I fucking pay to watch it. That's <laughs> what fucking certain. They're a very attractive couple. But this is him. This is the darkest time. This is very, yes. very dark. This is yeah. him at his most edgy. This is him at his most, the wickedest man in the world. And it it's going to play out like that. There are times when it feels like the fucking anthill kids. Yeah. Oh, uh, and just to clarify as well for the audience and myself, he is addicted to heroin at this point. It, yes. He is. So he's starting to really lose it. This yeah. is when he is saying we are going to you can uh, drugs are forefront to all well, of the rituals. OK, yeah, well, we'll get into the drug use here in a bit. The main room of the horse cell was turned into a temple 
featuring an altar, a copy of the Steely of Horus that Rose Kelly had identified in Cairo so many years before, a copy of the Book of the Law, and all of the appropriate candles. Gotta have candles. Crowley also constructed a throne of the beast that faced the altar in the center of the room and placed the Scarlet Woman's throne on the opposite side. They then placed statues of gods around the room and opened the temple to all who followed Thelema. But when those followers of Thelema arrived, they were met with a very literal shithole. <laughs> Since there was no plumbing, there were no toilets, and the house reeked of feces and urine. Wait, wait uh, just go to the bathroom outside. Yeah, well, they were I mean, using it, the, buddy. They were using it. And there's also, you got to remember, fucking four kids running around. Like, kids below five years old. They're like three, four, five. Yeah, doing the Gwyneth Paltrow, they shit everywhere without the diapers on. You got to try to catch it with your mouth before they get it <laughs> so you don't waste the thousands of universes in their shit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And they, they hired a housekeeper for like a bit. But she resigned real fast. You want me to clean this sheet? No, no, no. That's that's for later. We're keeping that. Okay, you want me to clean this other pile of shit? No, 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 no. That is also that we're using that. We're well, in the middle I don't of think she would have quit then. That's an easy job. If the shit's mm -hmm. good, her, <laughs> I don't even know what her job is. Make it messier. No one really cooked. And no one really cleaned. Because Crowley said that his guardian angel, Awas, had assured him that... The slaves shall serve. But no fucking slaves were showing up. Mm -mm. Yeah, okay. But even so, Crowley and his acolytes lived the magical life for a little while. And it was here that Crowley came ever so close to becoming a cult leader, if only he had cared to do so. And I will again, mm. the, uh, during this period, I don't give Crowley a lot of credit, but he was, the idea was that everyone's supposed to actively choose the lama. Like you're supposed to be there because you are you are obsessed with it. Like you need to be up in it. We're here doing the real work. This well, is the real shit. Does the idea of consent and do as thou will isn't that th those can go hand in hand? It is right. Because you're talking about one of the hotly debated parts of what will is and what orbits are and what all of that shit is it's a down for interpretation because according to crowley in the confessions he thinks that there are certain people that are not actually able to maintain their own orbit or able to choose their own wills which is why they need to be sort of guided forcefully by thalamites but well, you know what i'm just gonna get out of there with a will and grace joke yeah. inserted here <laughs> and because uh, we don't need to talk about that no then. i just don't know I, I am, this is again it's just up for interpretation we're not okay. that is not up for debate right. at all good, like good to was know. A and I can't believe piece of shit. Will was gay the whole time <laughs> That's, uh, it's, it's insane I thought he was a bachelor I know a forever bachelor like Lindsey Graham <laughs> well, every day Leah would wake up strike a gong and proclaim the law of Thalema and in response everyone would say love is the law, love, is the law. love, under, love well. under well then they would do their daily solar salutations. <laughs> yeah, because you do it like an, it's the it's the what you do in yoga. So they do yeah. yoga all morning. OK, cool. Yeah. Not bad. At, at breakfast, the group would perform a small ritual, effectively saying the Thalamic equivalent of grace. They would all declare that it was their will at that moment to eat and drink in service of the great work. Then they would have a meager breakfast in silence. Oh, However, these were only but some of the few mandatory actions. At all other times of the day, when they weren't doing magic, they were free to climb, swim, write, work, study, or do any of the copious amounts of drugs that Aleister Crowley left 
everywhere. Yeah, dude, this is where uh. you can see why rock and guys and all these kind of people like like this idea because it just was drugs, just piles of drugs. Yeah, but piles I don't like drugs. the only again children. That's the only problem. Yeah, so get the, the they were free. Get they, the kids out of yeah, there. Yeah, the kids can have it. Yeah. The kids are <laughs> No, it's for them. Yeah, they can have it. They're not wasting it. Their minds are a drug. Mm. You start doing drugs as soon as you no longer become a child to just try to be a kid again. Wow, that's trippy. It's true. It's trippy, dude. See, yeah, Crowley's but- idea was that if you make drugs extremely accessible, then the temptation to do drugs will be removed. Oh, and yeah. it's in the doing of a whole bunch of drugs that you prove you don't need drugs Hell because yeah, you're doing so many of them. I don't need them anymore. I have them in me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like me. It's like, that's why I keep the piles of weed that I have in my house. Because so then you don't need it. I don't yeah. have to like, <laughs> right. need it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it makes all yeah. the sense in the world. Yeah. Crowley made cocaine, ether, morphine, opium, hash, alcohol, and especially heroin available at all times. And therefore, the four children who ran wild unsupervised around the Abbey were exposed to insane amounts of drug abuse. In addition, the children were also exposed to everything going on in the house, including Uh. all the sex, because Crowley believed that exposing them to sexual magic would save them from the same lingering shame he still felt towards the act. This is just opening up a whole nother door. Listen, Leanne, I don't want you to ever experience what I've experienced in my life. You don't know what I, what your father has dealt with, okay? You don't know. Uh And that's what Gerald here is going to, but fuck me in front of you. <laughs> no, listen. Uh-huh. listen. And what was the lesson again? So that you're alleviated of the shame of what I have to do in front of you okay. to make you not feel shameful anymore. Yikes. Okay. Even I'm uncomfortable, and I love doing this. Here, just come on. Plow, plow, just, you know, and listen. And Leah, and this is how we'll learn. Like Every time I grunt, you count, and that's how we'll get your numbers. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. Enough. That's disgusting. But despite rumors of the contrary, Crowley did not, as far as we know, ever involve the children in any of the sex magic rituals, although the mere fact that he exposed them to such things is still pretty fucking awful. Yes. He did uh, in his moments of empathy, he actually did openly talk about how kids were not supposed to be involved directly in the rituals. Not and directly, they're not suppo- no. no. they're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to do any, it's all supposed to be adults and you're supposed to, well at this time adults can be technically 15 years old but you mean like kids. I'm not exactly giving the guy a standing ovation. No, 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 no. <laughs> no where's no. Just to clarify, I don't think the yeah. kids should have been fucked. Well, yeah. good, good. What the, I don't know what award that is that I give you, but there you, you have received it. But with all this shit, like, I can understand the assumption, because it seems as if Crowley was trying to plumb the depths of depravity as much as he could in the Abbey of Thalema. Right. With Leah Hersig, Crowley underwent what he called a mystery of filth. In this, Crowley became the submissive, and Leah took the role of a dominant, menacing tyrant. Okay. In one session that Crowley later wrote about, Leah would yell things along these lines. So low thou, so low art thou, crawl to my floor, blackened feet, and call them snow pure marble. You dog, do your slave's task, do your mock love, you dog, you dirty dog, do it, you dirty dog, do our soiled feet, laugh them. Just cut to why Tiger Woods got into a car accident. (laughs) Jeez, Marcus. Very good. Very good. Very feminine. (laughs) I'm in touch with all sides. (laughs) You are. Yeah, and you don't even have the tits. No, no. (laughs) 
Leo would light cigarettes and put them out on his chest, attack his ego by insulting his lovemaking skills and his terrible poetry, and finally, she forced him to eat one of her own freshly squeezed turds. Hey, man. That's what he likes. That's what a boy likes. And that went on to become the first Orange Pulius. Uh, Oh, God, man. I know. Today's just, man, I'm telling you, somebody is dead out there. (laughs) Well, there was a point to all this. The point of eating the turd, Crowley said, was that he believed that he was such a great magician that he could transmute the foul into the sacred. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's his, he constantly talks about this. The idea that he has to completely degradate himself to the experience the opposite of what it's like to be a god and i yeah. i do say his main thing is that he has said people had problems at the abbey but he said the, the reason why is because we found that life in the abbey with its absolute freedom was too severe a strain on those who were accustomed to depend on others the responsibility of being truly themselves was just too much for them. It was more, mostly the lack of plumbing. Yeah, but sooner or later, without any action on our part, without any quarrel or sensible reason, they found themselves ejected into their previous condition of servitude. Do you think mm. that he put it, or, uh, the lady's arm up at a 90 degree angle and then before she pooped, he put it down like a lever? And then he was like, time to deliver the ice cream to the Dairy Queen. Well, uh, Crowley actually uh, only, at, in the Abbey of Thalema, he only ate with his hands. So it's not like oh. he had like a knife and fork or anything. Like I think she probably took a dump on a platter and then he grabbed it and shoved it. Oh, in his he didn't mouth. even get it right from the source. No, no, well, no. It, it was still. Well, it needed to be ritual. The, yeah. Oh, it, it I knows see. the tale. It's like when you go to um, where was it that incredible bar- barbecue place in Austin where you go and yeah, you, could, is, you think this is gonna be a ringing endorsement for you? Him, can Blacks? Be, yeah, 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 yeah. Where you could see the cows that they kill. It's like right there. You Ooh, saw uh, it. Yeah, that was Blacks, I think. Right, Blacks mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Salt Lake. Oh, this no. is just like the salt lick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but to Crowley's credit, he did own up to the fact that this just didn't work. It didn't yeah. work. I it d- didn't work. I'm going to straight up say I did not like it. It wasn't good. <laughs> one star. <laughs> Thank, honestly, good. Yeah. Be- His mouth burned. He choked. He retched and spent <laughs> days just as sick as you might expect. Well, I, I, I don't know why I have a stomach ache. It must have been yeah. all the Chipotle I had. So, oh, no, it was. It was Leah's shit, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was yeah. Leah's shit. Now I'm just thinking about that. Philadelphia Eagles fan, gotta bring it up. Oh, Wait, every time I, I, I got to got bring to. it up. It wouldn't be a show. I know, I know. <laughs> well, one of Crowley's other problems at the Abbey was entirely predictable. Although Leah and Nanette seemed to be fine with Crowley's swinging sexuality when they were separated, having all of them live in an isolated farmhouse complicated things. Yeah. Mm. Although not quite in the way you might expect. Hmm. Okay. It seemed as if both of them were competing to be the most scarlet of scarlet women. And it became too much for even Alistair Crowley. So he came up with the idea that maybe they could pleasure each other so he could take a break. Yeah, because wow. I could just see him just with the towel, just being like, can't you lick each other or something? You guys, <laughs> you guys do it. Can somebody else eat shit for once? Just one time. Do I have to do everything? Now, Leah, who was at this point holding the office of Scarlet Woman, she was down for the idea. Idea. But Nanette freaked out at its very mention and ran away from the Abbey naked in the rain. <laughs> Crowley eventually brought her back, but found that Leah had gotten quite drunk in the meantime. 
Once Danette walked back in the door, Leah just fucking attacked her Dog. and kept fighting until Leah vomited all over the place. What Whoa. is happening? <laughs> and all while Crowley watched and smoked opium. It's fucking crazy, dude. I can't believe they're doing that shit. <laughs> what are you doing over there? Yeah. I'm just glad I'm over here with my opium. Absolutely. But even though conflicts were rising, Crowley decided to add another woman into the mix. He invited American OTO member Jane Wolfe to live at the Abbey. And while Jane Wolfe hated it at first, she shifted into what she called a wonderfully calm joy after three weeks of extreme boredom. Mm. Meanwhile, because everyone was spending all their time getting high and fucking, they tended to forget about the children. And Crowley's infant daughter, Poupée, who had never been all that healthy, she Aww. fucking died. Oh my, oh, so man. how many kids does he have and then not have? He's got one, one survive, one alive and two dead. Two this dead moment. is not the good odds. I guess no. just, that's the day the poopy died. That's yeah. sad. Leah, who was also pregnant at the time, subsequently miscarried. And while she could accept that her daughter had died through neglect, she believed that Nanette had caused the miscarriage through black magic. Oh, my god. And goodness. after reading Nanette's diary, Crowley agreed. Well, that was like a policy that they had at the Abbey that it was just like, man, they couldn't be more up inside of everybody's fucking guts. Everybody yeah. had to keep a journal because that's his main thing. Everybody has to have a magic journal. But then you're also supposed to read everybody's journal. Oh, yeah. this is horrible. And instead of dealing with any of this shit, though, Crowley fled to Paris to grieve alone. And when he returned, he found that a new recruit named Cecil Frederick Russell from the New York OTO had arrived looking for magical direction. Now, Crowley hoped that Russell might be the new Neuberg. But Russell was apparently straight as a fucking arrow. And he had to use Leah as a fluffer during the sex magic rituals that were more focused on Crowley's butthole. No, the thing is, is that okay. this is when Crowley's getting more like Crowley than ever before. They say that his teeth look like coffins and that his breath reeked of shit and ether because he used to do a, a cup of ether every morning and oh get himself God. up and going. And so I don't think it got him up and going. And you just feel that it's weird because Russell just shows up and you're supposed to butt fuck the mages. And um, I guess it wasn't doing it for him. Yeah. No. Yeah. All right. He just, yeah. Russell eventually left after falling out with Crowley, and he started his own magical society called the Kuranzon Club. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. After that, Crowley briefly left the Abbey again to have a meeting with Theodore Roos, the head of the OTO. But as opposed to their earlier meetings, Crowley had lost respect for Roos because Roos's knowledge and experience with sex magic was, by Crowley's standards, non-existent. You don't even eat shit. Yeah, that's disgusting. <laughs> they're, they're hanging out because the that was the in the OTO that was like one of the levels was the sexual level. It was their innermost secret, right? So they've been kind of like vaguely jerking each other off in a circle alone. But he decided Does the to make OTO it. Do uh, circle jerks? I don't know. I honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But the the idea that they were doing sex magic on a very low scale, they were kind of doing it as like in a very controlled environment and done in very specific rituals. Where he's just, you know, to use a term, blowing it out. He's straight up just like fucking. Y'all don't know. You don't know how much fucking it takes to do to get to the godhead. So the yeah. OTA, the OTO, maybe just doing some soaking, which is disgusting as well. <laughs> soaking yeah. when the Mormons just stick the I dick remember. in and they just leave it there Soaks. and leave it a bookmark. Soaks. Soaks. Yeah. 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 Well, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. And it's strange. It's strange. Right. Everybody's got strange. different hobbies. That's right. Mm. 
Well, strangely, and perhaps coincidentally, Theodore Roos suffered a stroke and died very <gasps> soon after this meeting. And who else replaced him as head of the OTO a few years later? But Aleister Crowley. Whoa! Yep, the takeover is complete! He finally got to be in charge! Yeah! But when Crowley returned to the Abbey from this meeting, he found that everyone at the Abbey was depressed and physically ill because the conditions were still absolutely disgusting even after the death of Poupe. And you know that's so sad because you want to get all pumped up. You're back in. You're ready to start eating some shit. You're ready to start right. putting cum on things. You show up and everybody's fucking being a bummer. Yeah. And it's like, come on. you got Yes, it smells like shit in here. Yeah. Yeah, it does. That's Just, the point. They got to get a cleaning crew in there. Yeah, no, and lose nope. all my magical shit. That's well. Yeah. I've been saving this shit. At I least can we get a glade? Can we get a glade plug in anyway? <laughs> Nevertheless, Crowley still decided that he'd reached the peak of his magical career, and he gave himself the highest magical <gasps> promotion one could receive. He finally became an Ipsisimus and effectively made himself, in his own eyes, a god. Wow! Look at that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp says here i have to talk about something i need to get off my chest and i guess i can share it here i i eat mayonnaise for fun it's a hobby of mine and it's an addiction and it's a daily weight on my life how much i need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. Ah, Jules. Oh, Jules. Make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases, they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it and she loved it and she wore it when we went on vacation and modern did everybody come around being like where'd you get that piece you beautiful woman and I was like stop talking to my wife she's spoken for you can see it with the blue Nile bling she's got on her 
Right now, get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. That's $50 off with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. But being an Ipsosimus didn't make Crowley any richer, nor did it make him like heroin any less. No. Oh. Crowley had, by this point, drained his second inheritance and picked up a strong heroin addiction along the way. And since none of his disciples at the Abbey were rich like Neuberg, Crowley began writing for money once again. In June of 1922, he was paid 60 pounds to write a book about his increasing drug use. And in 27 days, with Crowley dictating and Leah writing, Crowley came out the other end with The Diary of a Drug Fiend. One of his more famous books. It, really it is. is ironic. It is ironic. He finally got to live like the politician he wanted to be, just writing money or just writing letters for money, <laughs> yeah. just soliciting cash, eating lumps of human shit. That's literally what you do. <laughs> the novel told the story of Sir Peter Pendragon, a World War One veteran who becomes ensconced in a world of drug abuse and magical intrigue after getting addicted to heroin with his girlfriend, Louise. Man, I'm compelled by old timey junkies. Yeah, they're fun, man. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it's different than other <laughs> junkies. They sound fun. Yeah. It's just something about old timey junkies that it's are kind of. It's the big. It's the big metal needle that they used to use. The big metal oh, syringe. Oh no, that's, that's, the, that's, that. a, that's what you're. That's what you're intrigued by. Yikes. I was thinking more of like the patchy uh, sewing work on their shirts and their funny big shoes. But like World War One, like shell shock, like that that type that but type of shock. You know, those people were really miserable. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, in the book. After Louise threatens to leave Peter Pendragon for wanting to buy a literal cocaine factory. I'm so sick of fucking going and meeting Jerry and I'm sick of meeting Spider and I'm sick of meeting the whole thing is we we need to own the means of production. We need to own the means. You want to make a cocaine factory? <laughs> <laughs> the cocaine factory already existed because this is back in the days when you got medical cocaine. Yeah, dude. Ooh, yeah. Unlike now. But. But after that, the couple find themselves at the Abbey of Thalema, where a thinly veiled Crowley-like character cures their addictions through an education on true will. Meanwhile, more very real mouths to feed have been showing up at the Abbey, and most of them found that they didn't really like living there. Case in point was Nanette Shumway's friend, Mary Butts. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Butts couldn't fucking stand the Abbey, but wanted to give it a fair shake. Yeah. So she invited uh -huh. along her lover, Cecil Maitland, to yep. see if they could figure out together what the fuck was going on. Plus, there was a whole lot of free heroin, and they liked that too. 
I think it'd be cool if they got married if he took her name so that he could be Cecil Butts. Cecil Butts. <laughs> that reminds me of the Leno bit he used to do with the funny wedding names. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Crowley again saw the makings of another Neuberg in Cecil Maitland and tried dominating the newcomer by attempting to drown him during a swim. You remember, Jeez. Travis, when we hired you, when we tried to drown him, but you lived. And that's why that's why you made it through the gauntlet. Oh my goodness. Then Crowley tried feeding both Cecil and Mary his infamous cakes of light baked with human shit and cum <laughs> and period blood and honey. Yep. Oh my God. Uh, what I is in this? Wow. <laughs> yeah, you like it? I love it. It's so fun. And the, what you is know this? what's funny? Because you know what my favorite thing to do is when I'm baking is I love to lick the bowl. I do with the too. And the spoon. My mom used to let me lick the spoon. You want some? Here we go. Here, you can just try some of the dough. Here we go. Oh, that is even... <laughs> It's different when it's not baked. Yeah. But that is good. It's shit. It's common. It's, it's menstrual blood. But guess what? What? A little bit of honey. Oh, I love the honey really brings it all together. Wow. Well, I mean, they didn't like either of these two things. Cecil ah. didn't respond to being dominated. They did not mm. respond well to the cakes of light. But what? the final straw came on the day that Crowley tried to make a goat have sex with Leah during a ritual. Oh, my God. All right. The, the goat refused. God, what's wrong but, with that? Uh, what's wrong yeah. with Leah? What but, is wrong with Leah? Nothing's wrong with anyone other than Mr. Alistair Crowley. But the goat got sacrificed anyway, and the goat's blood splattered all over Leah's back when Crowley cut the creature's throat. Leah, confused and probably super high, in a moment of, I think, clarity, she asks, what do I do now? You're going to want to roll around in that. And Mary, unable to resist the chance to deliver a line, said... I'd have a bath if I were you. Nailed it. Wow. Because <laughs> that really has got to take the air out of the room. It really it does. Yeah. 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 It's like a fucking mid-Atlantic line. I'd have a bath if I were you. Yeah. Because she's naked on all fours, <laughs> covered in goat blood. And they're all just like, ah, fuck, I can't make this goat. I can't make the goat horny. Right. After the goat blunder, Mary Butts and Cecil left the Abbey disillusioned with nothing more than a new heroin addiction to show for their time. Look at that. It's better than a tattoo, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Ah. Lasts forever. Heroin addiction can last till your death. Yeah. 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 They both last forever. I would say I'm going to want cigarettes until I die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's forever. I think about it. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, as revenge for their impertinence, Crowley portrayed both Cecil and Mary Butts in an unflattering light when he wrote The Diary of a Drug Fiend. He called Mary a white maggot. Whoa. (laughs) In return, Mary Butts put Crowley's entire operation at the Abbey of Thalema on blast in the British press. She shared details about endless orgies, the cakes of light, the three American women with children who seemed to be kept there specifically for the orgies, and the fact that Crowley had greeted her at the door with a goat turd on a plate. <laughs> right. I don't even know what world we're in anymore. Uh, Crowley, of course, loved the attention as he always did. He liked he was, all of this. He, he, he this was his goal. It. He loved it, but he was about to push things too far once again, and his disregard for the health and well-being of anyone around him would spell the end for the Abbey of Thalema. In 1914, Crowley met a heavy-drinking cokehead named Betty May, locally known as the Tiger Woman. (laughs) 
Now, she didn't like Crowley upon meeting him, but her third husband, Charles Loveday, who liked to be called Raoul, was interested in the occult and wanted to visit the infamous Abbey. Honestly, if a wizard's around, it'd be cool to go really visit. Like, if the wickedest man in the world was there, I'd go fucking show up and go mm-hmm. look at the house. Yeah, would you? Even after knowing this story, and you would eat, would you eat goat shit? I'd wear a poncho, <laughs> and I'd just kind of, I'd be across the street, you know? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Once they arrived, Raoul was immediately let inside, but Betty May locked horns with Crowley immediately and was forced to stay outside until she answered Crowley's hello with the standard Thelemite greeting of love is the law, love under will. It's his rule. Okay. Now, Betty fucking hated it there, like most people did. But Raoul jumped in head first and was soon christened Frater Aud, or Brother Light. Hmm. For Betty's part, she became the housekeeper and the cook out of a desire to just do something, which kind of sort of fulfilled Crowley's promise that slaves would show up to do all the dirty work. But as it almost always was with Crowley, a promise fulfilled is often a double-edged sword. Betty, she said I whenever she liked. Because you weren't supposed to say the word I in any way, shape, or form. Not supposed to. She said it whenever she liked. She poured a bowl of water over Crowley's head, and she openly laughed at Crowley's frenzied Dionysian dancing. I mean, it was pretty fucking funny. I can imagine it. But apparently, when she dumped the bowl over his head, he was eating food, and she dumped the bowl over his head, and then he said he kept eating, and he's just like... It looks like Betty will be on the dole for sacrifice in the morning. And everyone went, Christ! <laughs> that is funny. Because now he's all wet. <laughs> wow, that is funny. I'm happy I'm here. I'm happy to be at this in this commune. Are you going to eat all that shit on your plate now that it's all yes. wet? Okay. <laughs> but in Raoul, Crowley had finally found a new Neuberg. And as it was before, Crowley pushed him to his limits. The difference was that this time, Crowley would push his acolyte to his own death. No. In February of 1924, Crowley decided to sacrifice a cat. Unlike most magicians, Crowley fucking hated cats. And he decided that this cat in particular had to die after it had given him a deep scratch. Once Crowley caught the cat, he placed it on the altar, burned incense, and made magical invocations with Raoul for two full hours. Once the invocations were done, Raoul was instructed to slash the cat's throat. But since Raoul was a little skittish, he didn't cut deep enough. Oh, no. God, oh, God. So the cat, lightly wounded, ran around the room howling. Oh, no, not good. And when it was finally caught and killed, Crowley, as punishment made Raoul drink a large cup of the cat's blood. Raoul subsequently collapsed and was taken to his bed. When Raoul's health took a turn for the worse, Crowley <sighs> consulted Raoul's horoscope. Let me get to the horoscopes. <laughs> and proclaimed that Raoul might die on February 16th. Sure enough, on that very day, Raoul Loveday died from acute enteritis as a direct result of drinking a Big cup of cat's blood at Crowley's Ugh. command. Yeah, you don't want to. You keep the blood inside the cat. I really put that on a bumper sticker. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> don't fuck it either. We learned yeah, that before. Keep the blood inside um, the cat. The acute Ugh. enteritis sounds like it would be a bad way to die. Horrible. It's a real, real fucking awful way to die. Yeah. I mean, it's slightly worse than how the cat died. Yeah. yeah. 
Word soon reached England about Raoul's death, and Horatio Bottomley, in particular, jumped on the story. His paper, John Bull, printed article after article with titles like The King of Depravity, A Man We'd Like to Hang, and most famously, <laughs> The Wickedest Man in the World. <laughs> You fucking finally got there, dude. I guess <laughs> All so. you had to do was kill a guy. Yeah, well, <laughs> multiple, it seems like, almost with the children. Well, eventually, the character that Crowley had allowed to grow over the years took on a life of its own, yep. and papers began printing stories claiming that Crowley had killed and eaten two of his porters back in his mountaineering days. He actually will never let go. In the confessions, he multiple he says it multiple times. He will never let go anybody accusing him of being a cannibal. He yeah. there's something about it. It drives him nuts. Like he just makes jokes throughout the confession, saying like, "Oh, because I'm a cannibal." Blah blah blah. But it's <laughs> like, well, I uh, mean, you know, you did kill a guy, make him drink cat blood, right? Yeah. Well, it's adjacent, maybe. Now Crowley probably would have been able to weather all these attacks just as he had every time before. Had it not been for the fact that Italy was by that point being ruled by the infamous fascist dictator Benito Mussolini. Oh, Mussolini. It's not, a, it's not fun whoa. Italian. It's bad Italian. Whoa, whoa. Mussolini had been cracking down on leftists, occultists, and secret societies. And when word of Raul's death in Sicily reached Mussolini, he had Crowley served with a deportation order. But as Crowley noticed, the order only named Crowley, which meant that his Thelemites could stay at the Abbey. Nanette would stay there for another three years, but Leah joined Crowley in Tunisia only a week later. With her was her five-year-old son, who by that point, warped by the Abbey, was a chain smoker who regularly declared that he would become the great beast when Crowley died. Yeah, you guys think you're fucking old big and bad, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm gonna be the head beast around here too. You guys eat shit that's funny me. I eat mashed up apricots. Uh, I don't even use my teeth, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's all food. That's all I need. I got a little throat. Oh my smoke hot, nice. Only can only imagine a fucking five-year-old chain-smoking boy running around yelling about he's going to be the fucking great beast when it's, his dad dies. It's and scary. again, probably wasn't even his dad. No, oh, it wasn't his my. dad, but it was he was like a dad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But Leah and Crowley soon split. And with that, Crowley's life as a magician of great influence in his own time came to an end. Oh. As far as the rest of his life went, it was marked by a parade of further scarlet women and increasingly unattractive men. <laughs> Most notable was a one-eyed mathematician named Norman Mudd, who funded Crowley's <laughs> lifestyle of expensive hotels and young boys after Crowley's expulsion from Italy. And hey, let me tell you one thing, Alistair. I did the math, and guess what? Two plus two equals you and me having sex with Ooh. these young boys. Oh, I love it. <laughs> also, don't come for me on my right side, because, you know. To fulfill, <laughs> to fulfill the, the Leno marriage bit, this would be the perfect if it was the mud butt wedding. <laughs> See, you just had to meet Mrs. Butt. That and would Mr. be, Mud and that that would the be good. Wedding. That would be good. Man, that, that, be good. Show was, that show was so good. Ahead of its time. Wow, just Clever. so powerful. It holds really up. Clever. So good, yeah. 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 Pretty soon, Norman abandoned Crowley as well. 
and the once great Magus was reduced to pawning all of his magical accoutrement, like his magical rings and his magic bell, just to survive. He had to pawn the magic bell. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to want to hold on to that. By 1924, his sinuses had been destroyed by the constant snorting of heroin and cocaine, Uh and he required two operations to fix it. But even so, Crowley still managed to find Scarlet Woman after Scarlet Woman in his 40s and 50s. There was Maria Miramar, who ended up in a mental institution because of Crowley's influence. There was 19-year-old Hannah Yeager, called the monster because of her intense desire to be used as a toilet. Love her to death. <laughs> she, oh, killed her, her. she killed herself after learning what happened to Maria Miramar. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. After that was a rough and tumble woman named Bertha Bush. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love you, Bertha. She, she once saved Crowley from a bunch of Nazi youths by stabbing one of them with a butcher knife. Cool. What is yeah. this? She and Crowley engaged in a vicious S&M affair, but they eventually parted ways. Okay. Now, Crowley did take male magical students here and there, but he mostly focused on uptight and nervous men like Neuberg. He was always trying to replace Neuberg. Because there was some special sauce. Because in the game, Neuberg really become, became, we said in the last episode, had become his familiar. And mm-hmm. it become somebody that was, uh, he really could depend on Neuberg with all of his, because his, like in improv, uh-huh. man magic, you have to make each other look good. You right? Do. And Neuberg knew the very, uh, the epitome thing of, I make Crowley look good, which is mm-hmm. very difficult to find in a partner. Absolutely. Yeah. But when the inevitable fallings out came, Crowley would circulate slanderous and anonymous letters about his students. Oh. In one letter about former student Israel Regardi, Crowley that's, called oh, him. That's the guy that wrote my compendium of the, the full detailed of all of the Golden Dawn rituals. Yeah. That fucking 500 Crow- page book. Yeah, and in a letter, Crowley called him a constipated chronic masturbator. What are you going to do? <laughs> if you ever call me constipated once again, I'll kill you. I jerk off a lot, but I shouldn't even more. <laughs> I do love the idea of constipated as just a slur. Be like, you haven't chat in three days, have you? <laughs> oh, you're right. Yes. Oh, oh. It's such a weird diss. Constipation is, is a awful curse. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I agree with that. Well, as far as Crowley's former student Norman Mudd went, that poor soul committed suicide in 1934 by filling his pants with rocks and walking into the sea. Christ. Okay, just a quick, I know we probably get more, but how many, we have six suicides attached to this guy? How many people commit suicide? At least this guy. Those are the ones I mentioned, at least. Jesus. By the time Crowley turned 50, he was overweight, his teeth were falling out, his breath constantly reeked of ether and he permanently shaved his balding head giving himself the look that most of us conjure up when someone mentions the name Alistair Crowley in some of those pictures he straight up looks like Andre Chicatello he does he's interesting scary he's an interesting looking guy but I will say as he got older he started to magically not not personally, but magically mellow out. There was a statement that he made that was really indicative that he was really starting to think about his life and his place in magic, where he said, ah, you realize that magic is something that we do to ourselves, but it is more convenient to assume the objective existence of an angel who gives us new knowledge than to allege that our invocation has awakened a supernatural power 
in ourselves. Hmm? Okay. Uh, the magic was inside the entire time. The whole time. It's about That's the friends the we made along the way. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's about the journey, not the not the destination. I, he he talked about lust for it's lust for result is his main. He says it was like almost his biggest sin in his life. All right. Wanting mm-hmm. result from magic. Well, Crowley eventually got his confessions published, but many bookstores refused to carry it. Partly that had to do with his reputation, but it was mostly because Crowley had childishly signed each book in such a way that the A in Alistair looked like a huge erect penis. I love it. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. That's funny. No, that's, that, that's the type of thing I'd have to ask you to not do. Yeah. Like, oh, no one's going to carry the fucking books, book though. if you put a gigantic fucking cock on the cover. Absolutely. No, 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 oh. no. I understand when you read his works, you say this as a person that is a piss baby um, contratarian, <laughs> contractarian. Yep. That's me. I am yeah. one. He's the lord of them. You wait yeah. until we. You wait until in that merch store. We're having a thick fronts and butts of serial killers. We're no, doing, we're talking about this. Uh, it is happening. But no, there's something about it. I, I get. You know, I get it. It's annoying. But he is the lord of the smart dickheads. Yes, he is. Okay. Or, per- or perhaps the saddest chapter in Crowley's later life was a libel case against former Thelemite Nina Hamnet, who had published a memoir that included details about what went down at the Abbey of Thelema, particularly what happened with the dead baby. However, when Crowley sued for libel, the defense argued that Crowley had no reputation to besmirch because Crowley had for so many years reveled in the title of the wickedest man in the world and had never once denied any of the claims made against him. Prison of his own making. But Crowley, repudiating everything he'd ever claimed to be, he denied all of it just for the possibility of a little bit of cash. Wow. Yeah. He maybe, said, maybe he had too much chili that day. I know. It, feels, it really does feel like when Alex Jones broke character in trial. Like, yeah. it does yeah. feel like. I too much chili. I can even <laughs> like, man, this was your time to stand up in court and be like, yeah. I am the devil. Like, he could have done it. He but really no. should have. He even said that his title, the B666, actually meant sunlight. And then a more appropriate name for him would be. Little Sunshine. Oh you know, my God! Little Sunshines don't eat period cake. The great. And, it's and funny he, because he is he just that going, jokingly. He does. Oh, yes, okay. and then he also just goes a step below. What he what he does is he tries to, in his way, magic is a way out of it by going back down below, shifting shape, saying, "Oh, because you can't explain all the inner workings to all of these fucking muggles." I think push comes to sh- when push comes to shove, though, he didn't stand by his principles. Oh, yes. I mean, I, it's just I don't, I don't know. know. What, his know prin- he, what are his principles? We were talking about this on the fucking production call. It's just the, the I'm, I am I get tired in magic of the phrase in a way. No, I because know. It's course. always in a way. Like he, yeah. he in a way he, you know, was able to trick him, you know, but it's like, no, he was fucking he was denying everything they ever claimed to be for fucking 500 bucks. It was sad. Wow. I think that this is the saddest <laughs> point. Yeah. Could be. But even outside of all the testimony about what went on at the Abbey of Thelema, what truly trashed Crowley's credibility was the pornographic poem collection he'd written as a young man, White Stains. He lost the case and the court costs bankrupted Crowley. His $7.3 million inheritance had transformed into $130,000 in debt. 
Wow. And the great beast 666 never financially recovered for the rest of his days. And, you know, in some ways, I understand the white stands is a book that he wrote as a child. And it's almost like round table of gentlemen in the way that we didn't even know that we ended certain aspects of our career before <laughs> by being precocious. We just did that first. Yes. And so if he never did anything else and he was sued for libel, it looks like that book alone. Just, would just would just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He could have yeah, been yeah. a banker for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. By 1932, Crowley was giving lectures at the Society for Psychical Research, trying to sell a tonic of rejuvenation made from his own jizz. Yeah, he tries to sell his jizz water in his own confessions. He says, I tell you what, as soon as he had the elixir of life, this is what he said, all mental activity became distasteful. I turned into a mere vehicle of physical energy. I could hardly bring myself to read a book, even of the lightest kind. I could not satisfy my instincts by paddling the canoe which I had imported. I spent about an hour every day in housework and cooking. The remaining 15 hours of waking life were filled by passionately swinging an an axe without an well, Mr. Crowley, thanks so much for coming here on Shark Tank. Um, my only problem is when it comes to supply, um, it's a lot of jizz that you would have uh, yes, to create. Yes. And I do and understand I'm, you're worried about will I be able to penis. get this out in time in yes. my, the state of my penis, but I'll have you know I have been saving vats of my own elixir of life. <laughs> okay. For, so don't worry. We have we're going to get this stores. on QVC. We're going to get this. We're going to make you a millionaire overnight. And that's why, Mr. Cuban, I think that you and I are really, <laughs> the, we're the secret group here. All right. I'm in. Well, Crowley did publish a few more real magical works in the last decade of his life, including The Equinox of the Gods and The Book of Toth. The latter was an essay on the tarot that many people still read and follow today, and it came with a set of beautiful tarot cards oh, yes. created in an artistic collaboration between Crowley and an artist named Lady Frida Harris. But again and again, when Crowley published something, he believed that this would be the book that would change the world. The one that would cause the kind of social and political upheaval that would allow Thelema to sweep the globe. Instead, his books were little read in their time and Crowley's influence was all but at an end by the 1940s. And it was because he made him so expensive to buy. Yes, by his account, his last recorded sex ritual was half-hearted cunnilingus with a woman named Alice Upham when Crowley was 66 years of age. Yeah, he wrote <laughs> it in his journal. That. Thanks for the visual. He wrote it in his <laughs> journal when he said straight up, like, I, it was the first day that he realized that he could not get an erection. And it was, that to me, it like made me sad. I was like, oh man. That's what you had, dude. That was your room, dude. Wow. That must have been a powerful thing for him to to realize his own humanity, perhaps. Yeah. By that point, Crowley was living off contributions made by the OTO branch in Pasadena that was run by rocket scientist Jack Parsons, whose own adventures into Crowley and magic can be heard in full on our series about Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard. Mm -hmm. Interesting character himself. A one of the one of Alistair Crowley's accidental best pupils. Hmm. Yep. By the end of his life, though, Crowley was a humbled man who sometimes expressed considerable regret about the decisions he'd made in his life. Although other times, Crowley might as well have been fucking right in my way with how pleased he was with himself. (laughs) I can see the scene of Crowley at karaoke. Just he's like, play it again. I did it. My way. You can see Sam. just standing and can, looking and just so fucking <laughs> falling asleep. You can see Sam from Cheers in the final scene, just turning the light <laughs> off as he continues to sing "My Way" uh, karaoke style. 
But either way, Crowley ended his days in a rented room in Hastings at a location that was appropriately titled Netherwood House. There, he took on the occasional student and even gave interviews to curious academics wanting one last chance to speak to Frater Perderabo. In one diary entry after an interview in which he was particularly pleased with his performance, Crowley wrote, quote, Most delightful interview. AC at his best. Uh, that's, uh, that's you. Yep. All right. <laughs> Someone has to say it. <laughs> yeah. AC's back. Better than ever. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it, AC. Nailed it. When on December 1st, 1947, Alistair Crowley, the great beast 666, died of heart failure and chronic bronchitis, both of which were greatly exasperated by the heroin and alcohol abuse that typified the last 20 years of his life. Damn, that's a long, that's a long chunk of life. It is. Concerning his last words, there are a few different accounts. The most famous, but also the most apocryphal account, is that Crowley, just before drifting away, simply said, I am perplexed. Another account, perhaps closer to the truth, was told by Lady Harris, the woman who had painted Crowley's tarot. She said that Crowley's last words were, Sometimes I hate myself. That's why I mean, like, I mean, to me, it's like it's to, to me. I like I have like a, a a different view of like it's like one with one. It's like I am perplexed, and the other one's like him fucking dying. His stomach is going like, and he goes like, sometimes I hate myself, and then just fucking dies. Honestly, that first one, the I am perplexed. That's a really powerful thing because, of course, he was searching. To unperplex uh, his yeah. life, I suppose. He so he, he failed. Yeah, maybe he, he was he, expecting something to happen and then nothing happened. Can you do you think that he thought of himself as a failure at the end? Well, this is what I, I have a little statement that he made about himself that I think that it's actually very illuminating about who yeah. he is. And the 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 story of him saying I am perplexed, that's apocryphal. That probably didn't happen. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. It's a it's a better story. Got you. He kind of said this about himself, which I think was interesting. He had this awareness. I wish, therefore, that you would realize that my universe was very much larger than yours. Some time ago, I thought of writing a book on internationally famous people with whom I have been intimate. The number ran to over 80. Am I wrong to suppose that you have, you have never met such people? Take another point. Have you visited the monuments of antiquity? Have you seen the majority of the great paintings and sculptures? Have you discussed all sorts of intimate matters with natives of every civilized quarter of the globe? Perhaps more than any of that in importance, have you ever made your way alone in parts of the earth never before trodden by any human foot? Perhaps in hostile, nearly always inhospitable country. You may think it pompous of me to mention these matters, but the fact is, is that they don't matter unless you think they don't matter. The point that I'm trying to get you to realize is that any statement or an action of mine is enormously modified by my having had these experiences. I also ate a bunch of goat shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should also add to that. Have you ever received a $7.3 million inheritance? <laughs> and blown the whole fucking thing? Because oh, that's, the, that's, that's what made that economic, shit possible. Yes. That's, yeah. the, <laughs> it's true, it's true. the economic horror of this entire story. But according to Patrick Doherty, the mother of Crowley's only son, Crowley died happily and peacefully. And the moment the life left his body, the wind blew and the thunder cracked. 
as was befitting a magician of Crowley's caliber. But in true Crowley fashion, one story has it that Crowley's doctor, in his last days, threatened to cut off Crowley's heroin supply. And Crowley told him that if the doctor did this, Crowley would surely die and take the doctor with him. And sure enough, and this is true, within 24 hours of Crowley's death, his physician died as well, making him the last magical victim of the great B666. But that's not quite the end of it. No. When Crowley died, there was reportedly a sketch on his bedside table. This was a sketch Crowley had done of Awas, his guardian angel. Remarkably, the sketch of Awas, with its oversized head, greatly resembled descriptions of the alien greys, meaning Crowley may have been communicating with the higher intelligence after all. It sends chills up my spine. Whoa! Because it is when you get to it, the, the AWAS does look like a gray. Yeah. And, it and it's very coincidentally. before anyone started giving descriptions of grays. Absolutely. It is highly, highly interesting. Um, the one thing that we skipped in this episode, because we are trying not to do a fourth episode on Aleister Crowley, because we don't want this to be a three hour long episode, is the stories of Aleister Crowley being wooed by various governments during World War II to be an intelligence officer. This is real, but we're yeah. going to cover it in a, a relaxed fit, because what we really want to talk about is the persecution of wizards in Nazi Germany, which is actually that, very big. Those are really that's the biggest thing that happened there. <laughs> The persecution of wizards. Man, Henry, you read different books. No, I'm just saying it's There's, not a, the most important thing of the Nazi Germany. It's, it's interesting. It is a thing that happened. One of many. Oh, thing. thing. But wow. Is it a so he'd go on. We now sit here talk Alistair Crowley again. And I was watching Freder Oz. One thing he said about the idea of the great work. Because Alistair Crowley always talk about Thalema's supposed to be using the serve that every magician has a great work. They have a thing that they're supposed to be working towards. The thing that either you, whatever your will is, whatever it is, the, you're supposed to be leaning towards. But a freighter said it in a really interesting way that they said, apparently, your great work is only really realized on the day that you die. That if you do go someplace and your consciousness goes someplace and you're allowed to go look at the records, the Akashic records of your life, you will see that what your great work would have been after you died. And it seemed that Aleister Crowley, who spent his whole life wanting to be famous, powerful and rich, would go on to now be on t-shirts and albums and shit generate income. His presence and his face and shit generates income and fame all over the world. So in some way, his great work kind of came out now, like after all of his bullshit, it yep. came into this. Into I this will spot. say you're going to want that money when you're alive. Yes. Yeah, that is always <laughs> better, but always better. Alistair yeah. Crowley. Fascinating story. Great work is always really interesting life. A lot to take away. Good, yeah. bad and definitely some ugly in there. But thank you all so much for going on this Alistair Crowley roller coaster with us. Uh, fascinating stuff. So excited fascinating. To, to close these tabs. Yeah. Close them out of your <laughs> mind and your computer. All right, everyone. Well, we are super excited. Tickets are on sale now. We're going to be in Grundy Whoa! County. Grundy. Yeah. Grundy. Grundy. Can't wait to Grundy. go to Grundy County. You can check out all that information on our Instagram or on our Twitter. We'll have some info for you there. Can't wait to see everybody very, very soon. Very, very soon, man. I am. We, we, I can't believe it. 
I know it's happening. Yeah. It really is happening. Uh, also, keep on supporting all the shows here on LPN. Thank you so much for all of the wonderful, kind oh. words and uh, for all of the support that you've given the network. Is uh, there any last streams Tuesdays? Make sure we up, up. It's on Patreon with, for live times and five o'clock Tuesdays. It's PST, APM, EST, yeah, and uh, yeah. uh, but then it goes up on our YouTube the second day. Of Absolutely. The Absolutely, and we've got a premiere date for No Dogs in Space season oh. one point one. That's coming back on March twenty fourth. That's All very right. good. And, and Dunecast comes out March fifteenth. That's great. You know where to find me. And also, I do want to say one person got my David Lee Murphy reference. Dust on the Bottle, great country song. One person got it, and I got one tweet. So that's great. Hey, man, that's all counts. You're doing comedy for that person. The man has three songs, three total songs. Early nineties. It was it was him and Tim Tim Duffy. I think it was. I remember Tim Duffy. I remember Tim Duffy. And it's the twenty fifth, not the twenty fourth. This is the twenty fifth. Awesome. Well, we cannot wait to uh, to see you all and continue to be with you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Please use ritual magic safely. Uh, and uh, yes, you know, do. Just- and it's really good if you're doing an art. It's great for art. It's not great for money. Yeah. yeah. Just be be safe doing these things because there are certain powers out there beyond yeah. our control. And also, uh, don't forget to like you know work hard and you know practice your scales. Yeah, well, you usually you should yeah practice guitar with it because <laughs> <laughs> it does help. Yeah. All right, everyone. Hail yourself. Hail Satan. Hail Gene. Magustalations. And to the great beast 666, wherever you are, I hope you're eating some shit on us. I'm in <laughs> heaven. <laughs> And I'm eating Hitler shit. Wait, what? Wow. Wow. Isn't that weird? Interesting. Kill me. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. <laughs>